77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Asylum seekers lined up outside the Sandra Feldman Gymnasium. The new arrivals showed up this afternoon at PS 188 on Coney Island. We've also learned the city plans to house asylum seekers at PS 172 in Sunset Park and at PS 189 in Crown Heights. I thought they said it wasn't going to happen, but yes, it seriously is. And tensions are boiling over in Orange County, where plans to house asylum seekers have reportedly forced some veterans to relocate. About 40 men arrived at the Crossroads Hotel in Newburgh. Mayor Adams says they will stay there for four months, all necessities paid for. Orange County Executive Steve Newhouse says around 20 vets who were living there had to be moved to another hotel to make room for the asylum seekers. We're at 60% compared to 19%. And the 19% is going down. That's Ron DeSanctimonious. He's falling at record levels. And we're leading crooked Joe Biden by a lot. The polls are showing we're seven points up, eight points, nine points, and even 11 points in one instance. So we're beating them all. And let's keep it that way because we're going to make America great again. We're going to take back our country. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. I'm going to make a change. For once in my life It's gonna feel real good Gonna make a difference Gonna make it right And as I turn up the collar on My favorite winter coat This wind is blowing my mind I see the kids in the street But not enough to eat Who am I? Michael Jackson, Man in the Mirror. <laughs> this happened to be Jordan Neely's favorite song. You remember all those photos and videos of Jordan Neely doing the moonwalk and looking and sounding like Michael Jackson on the subways? I thought that was like two weeks ago. It was like ten years ago. You know, uh, I want to get to a lot of stuff today, obviously. we got a lot of local politics, national politics, sports my Mother's Day weekend, all this stuff that makes this show number one by a distance. But when I did the Jesse Waters show about two weeks ago, and I had a long discussion with my friend Jennifer Harrison, whose boyfriend and his friend were murdered in cold blood many years ago. And Jennifer started the group New York Victims, uh, Victims Rights in New York, Victims Advocate Group. She said to me, she said, you know, before you go on Jesse, and I listened to her. She said, you know, this kid, uh, Neely, uh, he deserves a little bit, uh, going as a little bit of sympathy. And uh, I said, yeah, I agree with you. 
I said, any 14-year-old kid who loves their mother, and yesterday was Mother's Day, sees his mother murdered and placed in a plastic bag, that kid going to be effed up. And it wasn't like he didn't talk about it for years, this kid nearly. For years he talked about it, how devastated he was. So I did make mention on Jesse's show that Friday night, listen, right at the very top, I could understand if you garnered some sympathy, but then I quickly, as my friend the mayor would say, pivot and shifted and said, that's no excuse to spend the rest of your life a criminal. 40 arrests, punching innocent women across the face. This guy turned out to be a terror. He was not that cute kid singing Michael Jackson and doing the moonwalk. He was far from that. And as I watch this story unfold, and again, folks, I know Tom Kniff was on with Katz and Cosby on Friday. They put that in the New York Post. Let's not forget, I got him first, okay? Because Tom Kniff is a friend of mine, has been for a while. And I speak to Tom every day. I spoke to him last night. He's summing up the case this morning. He will join me either tomorrow or Wednesday. So I know exactly what's going on, and I can say some things, and I can't say some things. And Tom's a, a great American and a solid guy. Guy served our country. Then you watch these two clowns. It's like coming to America 3, I swear to God. Dante Mills, he's a, one of Jordan Neely's attorneys, and some guy named Lennon Edwards. And I sent Jen Harrison a text. I said, I got to tell you, whatever sympathy I had for this kid is starting to fade It's not the kid's fault. He's dead. But when you listen to his two attorneys, Al Sharpton, everybody around him, even New Yorkers on the streets, it's nauseating. It really is nauseating. If I hear one more attorney tell me how loved Jordan Neely was, really, most people I know that their parents love him or they're loved by somebody, they've got a roof over their head. They have meals three times a day. They're not eating out of garbage cans, living on subway platforms. What do you mean the kid was loved, you moron? He was loved so much that he had nowhere to live, nowhere to go? Oh, now they love him because, hey, guess what's coming up next? A civil suit, you can bet your ass. His scumbag father, who paid no attention to this kid, basically his whole life, his scumbag father, all of a sudden, he loves him. Oh, I love my son. You're going to tell me this kid was loved? What, did Daniel Penny drag him out of his house in New Jersey and beat the living daylights out of him? He was listed as one of the most 50 most crazy, dangerous people on the subway. He's lived a life the last, I don't know how many years, of living on the streets. What do you mean he was loved? By who? Who loved him? Nobody loved him. That was part of the kid's problem. His mother died, and nobody loved him. His fault? No. But isn't there a certain amount of responsibility for the people covering this, to be honest. If Jordan Neely was loved, he wouldn't be dead today. He'd be living somewhere in Brooklyn or New Jersey or who knows where. But he certainly wasn't loved. And while I made the point with Rita Cosby, when I was on live, Katz and Cosby on Thursday, I was there to talk about my epic Donald Trump interview. But the story had just broke 
that Penny was being arrested and charged with manslaughter. And I said time and time again, Rita, I'm not surprised. Black guy dead at the hands of a white guy in New York. I mean, Ron Kuby or Judge Watt, you just wake up and you think you're in Miami? You think that a black guy is going to be dead on a subway at the hands of a white guy and no one's going to get charged? Now, how many times, Lewis, have I said over the last week and a half that Daniel Penny, and I use this exact word, I think I was the first to use it because Danielle was furious with me. How many times have I called Daniel Penny a hero, hero. including on Fox News? Yes, hero. Every day. Yeah. And he is a hero. Yeah. And I say time and time again what he did, more New Yorkers should do. You should do. Maybe one of the protesters, if he was so loved, would have taken him in. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we love him. Or Al Sharpton or all these people. Oh, he's so loved. His own father. I love my son. He's been destroyed for a week. He couldn't find the father for the longest time. But now, civil suit, money, fame. Oh, I love my son. These, aye, aye, aye. Thank you, President Trump. These are the biggest low lives that ever walked the face of the planet. All of them. Low lives. Here was uh, my dear friend Tom Kniffel will join me either tomorrow or Wednesday. Again, he is summing up in front of the, tri- the trial today with the Katz and Cosby. I guess this was Friday afternoon, talking about how his client, Penny, will be absolved and all this will go away. Lewis, this is cut number seven. Yeah, there is very little doubt in my mind that when everything is fleshed out and comes to light, that, you know, uh, my client, Daniel Penny, will be absolved of any uh, any wrongdoing here. Um, you know, he, he didn't enter the subway seeking to you know, harm anyone. He didn't see, enter the subway seeking to attack anyone. He was really putting himself in harm's way for the benefit of others. Mm-hmm. And that he shouldn't be you know, pilloried for that. He should be celebrated. One more. Uh, this is uh, Tom Kniff talking about how many New Yorkers can relate to the situation of a madman on the subways. Cut number eight. The reality is that there is not a single living, breathing New Yorker, particularly anyone who rides the subways, who can't relate to exactly, you know, the sort of situation that my client was and the other passengers on that train were confronted with. That is in no way, shape or form to, you know, to to seek to, uh, uh, you know, demean uh, uh, the, the victim in this case. Um, you know, mental health, as you guys have been talking about before I joined, is a very serious problem. We're in a crisis situation. Well, so here is uh, one of these two attorneys who play them both. This Dante Mills, one of Jordan Neely's attorneys, who said, absolutely, Daniel Penny should be charged. This is cut number nine, Lou. So should Daniel Penny be charged with manslaughter? Absolutely. Because he acted with yes. indifference. Oh, really? He didn't care about Jordan. He cared about himself. And we can't let that stand. That's not who we are. That's not who we want to be. I got to tell you, Dante Mills and Lennon Edwards, they should be disbarred today. Get them out. Two morons. <laughs> yeah. These what? are stupid people. Yeah, like this guy went on the subway looking for this, hoping and praying that uh, this cycle would show up. And, again, I've got some sympathy for the person, but turned out to be a complete and utter psycho. When he goes on, this uh, genius attorney, Dante Wills, to talk about how, how everybody loved this kid. He was lovable. Everybody loved him. This is MSNBC with another creep, Al Sharpton, cut number 11. He was loved. 
Yeah, right. He was loved. He had family that loved him. Really? Where? That supported him. Where were they? Uh, he had for 20 years, moron. Life that was there for him and provided a safe space. Really? But unfortunately, and a lot yeah. because of that incident stemming from his mother's death, right. he had demons. And we all know people who are on the brink of going through something major, a catastrophe, mm. where they just can't seem to get everything back together. And that's where he was. But he had a life that he was living and was reaching for. Throughout his life, he was determined to make other people happy, and that's what he did. That's why he sung. That's why he danced. I mean, this guy should that's be arrested. Right, shut that's up. I'm begging you to shut up. So that's Dante Mills, one moron. Here's the other. Anybody who thanks AOC as Curtis, who will join me at 7.05 this morning, points out all out crazy. Anybody who thanks AOC for anything, outside of maybe oral, uh, <laughs> anybody should be put in prison. And that's what Lennon Edwards, the other genius attorney, does right here. This is cut number 17. We have to look at the changes that need to be made from the top down. We want to thank ALC. We want to thank everyone, <laughs> every politician who has spoken out about these issues. And we're asking for changes to be made so that there is not another Jordan Neely story like this. We're asking for changes to happen so that the adequate funding is there so that people get the help that they need. But maybe the most disappointing of all, not these two idiotic attorneys. They're doing their job. They're doing what they're paid to do, I guess. Dante Mills and Leonard Edwards, totally racist. The most disappointing of all is the mayor. Now, I'm going to talk to his former chief of staff, who's a very good friend of mine, Frank Carone. Both Carones, Frank and Anthony, are very good friends of mine, and Danielle. And we like them both very much. And Frank has a couple of issues with how New Yorkers are treating Adams, and he's got one or two stories where he's exactly right. One right doesn't make two wrongs. And there's a couple of stories lately where New Yorkers are doing wrong by the mayor. But the mayor continues to to, do stuff like this. Man, this is just toxic. The migrant situation, he gets an F. Not a C, not a D, an F. And in the Jordan Neely case, if you remember when it first happened, the governor, Kathy Hochul, right away she wanted the death penalty for Daniel Penny. Maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe I'm not. That moron comptroller, Brad Lander, same thing. And we all gave the mayor credit because Adams was like, hey, slow down. We don't know all the details yet. We don't know. Looks like this guy may have helped. All the things he said early on, right. And then, man, like the rest of these Democrat politicians, like Tom Swazi with me and Bernie, as soon as somebody gets to these guys, they cave. None of these guys show a profile in courage. None of them. And Adams has done the same. He said all the right things early. I remember talking to Brian Kilmeade last week, and Kilmeade was like, listen, I hate what he's doing with the migrants, but I love what he said about Neely. He's right. And now it's all gone. This is um, Eric Adams, cut number one. I've got about five cuts. Eric Adams, cut number one. My fellow New Yorkers, this has been a week of strong emotions in our city. One of our own is dead. One of our own, please. A black man, black like me. Was he black? A man named Jordan. Ah, like my son. The name I gave my son. Yeah. A New Yorker who struggled with tragedy, trauma, and mental illness. A man whose last words were a cry for help. Oh, please. A man 
named Jordan Neely. The circumstances surrounding his death are still being investigated. And while we have no control over that process, one thing we can control is how our city responds to this tragedy. One thing we can say for sure, Jordan Neely did not deserve to die. And all of us must work together to do more for our brothers and sisters struggling with serious mental illness. That includes you. Right. Okay. Yeah, there encounters no, no, with the thank you, thank you. Very system. good. Okay, you, who's your place to blame on exactly? I mean, I understand that Bill de Blasio and his crooked wife, who should be in prison for basically stealing $1.5 billion for that Thrive program, which would have kept people like Jordan Neely off the streets. So I understand Adam's predecessor is to blame in a big way here. I get it. But now you're in charge. And I know you've, you've come out with a plan that you're having some difficulty in getting passed, but hard to pass the buck. And I got to tell you, there's no reason, Eric, and you do this all the time, to mention Jordan Neely was a black man. Who cares? He was a psycho, black man, white man. But as soon as the mayor mentions he's a black man, well, it was even before that, this becomes a white-black thing. That's all this is. That's all this is. Mind you, if the Marine was black and the crazy person was white, Al Sharpton would be having a parade down the Canyon of Heroes today like the New York Yankees just won the World Series. Who the F you think you're kidding? That's all this has turned out to be, white versus black. Every time the mayor, Eric Adams, talks about Jordan Neely, it's not about a kid who went through tragedy, turned psycho, became a danger to himself, and every New Yorker, and Daniel Penny did a great job. It's a black man. Well, I'm sick of it. Here's more of that. Eric Adams, cut number two. No family should have to suffer a loss like this. And too many black black, and brown families. Brown, here we go again. System long no, shut up. Enough of that. No, man, is he pissing me off. But had the same name as his kid. Yeah, that's great. That's, I, I would oh, love, yeah. That, yeah. that really turned I want to compare my kid to some psycho on the subway. Yeah, I know a lot of Lou's that got uh, I mean, look, look, you know, my wife, again, I've talked about this. My wife was eight years old. My beautiful wife, Danielle, we just celebrated Mother's Day yesterday. She was eight years old. And her mother and her mother's boyfriend were moving to California. They decided they were leaving New York. And they were going to take a cross-country trip. And Danielle was supposed to be in the car with them. And at the very last second, Danielle was like, I don't want to go. And she stayed with Nana and Poppy, her grandparents. And wouldn't you know that trip to California... They got in a horrible car accident. The car overturned, and Danielle's mother was killed, nearly decapitated. Dead. Danielle was eight years old. But here's the difference between Danielle and these and Jordan Neely, which the attorney should hear. When Danielle's mother died when she was eight, she did have love. She had a grandmother, Florence Noodleman, we called her Nana, died about seven years ago. Died at 97 years old. She loved her. She had a grandfather, Marty Noodleman, who loved her. And so, with love coming from her grandparents, her cousin Linda, and other friends and family, and a desire from Danielle to succeed, here she is, 40-plus years later, a pillar of society. This kid didn't have love. He had nothing. And he turned into a real disaster, a complete disaster. Here's Eric Adams Cut number three. We need to be honest. 
There are more Jordans out there. People who are loved, people Again, in love. need of Jeez. compassion. Where was all this love? Treatment. I've had enough. Protection. I know this. So. Anyway, that's the story. So Knip is in uh, court this morning, summing it up. He'll be on either tomorrow or Wednesday, and uh, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. But um, as the days go by, and again, I felt badly because it's not Neely's fault, but some of the sympathy that I had is fading because of these low-lives politicians and activists and lawyers. Jordan Neely was loved, loved so much. He walked the streets and lived on the subway, ate out of garbage cans like a crazy person. If that's love, no thanks. Seventy-seven WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Seventy-seven WABC. Post, which most New Yorkers do. The daily circulation for the Post is, I think, the biggest in the country. It wallops that trash, the New York Daily News, which is just complete garbage. Everybody there is a racist or some pandering white person. Mike Lupica, Chris Sommerfeld, and people like Sean King write for that paper. That's all you need to know. It's complete garbage. But the Post, although they've gone sideways a little bit as of late, they do tend to bash my friend Donald Trump and stand up for Adams. Today's New York Post on page 22, I think I put 32 on my social media, at Rosenberg.Sydney on Instagram, at Rosenberg.Sydney, Facebook, Sid Rosenberg as well. It's page 22 is this big, beautiful color ad, and it says, Sid and Friends in the Morning which I refer to the show half the time as that and half the time as the Sid Rosenberg show. New York's number one Nielsen-rated news talk morning show. And then there are 18 pictures of some sitting friends in the morning. Friends, now, it's um, the second time they've run this. Last time we had, I think, 12 to 15 pictures. Now we've got 18. I kept a lot of the same people, and I replaced some people. But I really wanted to make sure my guys, my three guys every morning, Lou Rafino especially, Justin Ellick and Noam Layden, had a spot here, wanted their pictures in the New York Post, because in the 30-plus years that Lou Rafino helped make the IMA show as big as it was, 
And the more, well, the longer Don is dead, the more I miss him. The longer he's dead, the more credit I give him. But I'll always say this to the day I die. He was not the most talented person on his own show. He just wasn't. But he knew how to work it. And he put some very, very talented people around him, whether it was me or a McCord or a Bernard or a Breen or who knows who. And uh, Lou was one of those guys, but Lou never got the critical acclaim he deserved. At least I didn't think so. And he was there every day for the better part of 30 years. So I had to make sure that Lou Rafino's picture was in the paper today. And there he is in between which Larry, who joined me this morning at 740, and Laura Curran, she'll join me, ironically, at 905 this morning, a picture of Lou Rafino in today's New York Post. How cool is that, Lou? Sweet. Dope. Dope, right? Dope, man. That's it. Right next to Rich Lowry. Yes. They can't get bigger than that. Well, Alec is in between Lara Trump and Joseph Tacopina. Oh, that's nice. And then Noam Layden is in between Miranda Devine and Bo Deedle. Oh, hello, Noam. Trump is in there. Katzmatidis, O'Reilly, Sliwa King. I'm, my mother's there, of course, and uh, a whole bunch of folks. So go check it out. Page 22 in today's New York Post. And uh, one person that should be there, Monica Crowley, is not there. <laughs> I think she's mad at me. I don't know, but we'll, uh, we'll find out. I'll talk to Monica later. Why aren't I in this Yeah, picture? a couple of people complain they weren't in the picture, which no. I like. I like that people actually want to be in the picture. I think that's actually kind of cool. So we covered the uh, the Neely stuff. I guess we'll cover some of this migrant stuff. Those are the two major stories, right? The migrants and uh, Neely, both Eric Adams cuts. Right? I mean, he's right in the middle of uh, all of, all of it. And I think I've got Adam's cuts on the migrant situation. I'm not sure. But either way, let's play some of these uh, Mallorcas cuts. He was on ABC yesterday, I guess that Stephanopoulos show. And he says since Title 42 went away, which was, I believe, Thursday, there's been a 50% drop in the number of encounters at the border. This is that lying, thieving, lowlife Mallorcas this, Lewis, is cut number 18. Do you have numbers? I mean, how many have been released without a mandated court date? So we released uh, a number because of the surge that we experienced before Title 42 right. came, came to an end. Now, with the 50% drop in the number of encounters at our southern border, we are executing our consequence regime exactly as planned. Do you believe this son of a bitch actually gave Joe Biden credit? about the border. He did it three or four times, but I only have the stomach at 6.33 to play one of these. He's a, a CNN. He uh, gives Biden the credit, says Biden has a clearly communicated message. Now, you guys tell me. I know Corrine Jean-Pierre once said he's the greatest communicator in White House history. This guy can't complete a sentence without butchering four or five words and drifting off into space. Ever. Here's the poll, Jack. Communicator, he's the worst of all time. He's the worst by a distance. So here on CNN, Mayorkas gives credit. The number, the drop in number here at the border, because President Biden has communicated a great message. This is cut number 19. We have communicated very clearly a vitally important message to the individuals who are thinking of arriving at our southern border. There is a lawful, safe, and orderly way to arrive in the United States that is through the pathways that President Biden has expanded in an unprecedented way. 
and then there's a consequence if one does not use those lawful pathways. And that consequence is removal from the United States, a deportation, and encountering a five-year ban on reentry and possible criminal prosecution. Sometimes in sports, they say the best trades are the trades you don't make. I know you've heard that, Lewis and uh, Noam. Well, in a radio example, sometimes the best interviews are the ones you don't do. And I've admitted this before, even to Janice Dean, I was going to bring on Andrew Cuomo. It went as far as, after text messages back and forth with John Katzmatidis, my man playing the middleman, it went as far as a phone conversation between me and the former governor where he agreed to come on my program the next day. But because he's too much of a coward to have a real discussion about the nursing homes and or bail reform, one hour after what I thought was a decent conversation, Mr. Tough Guy pussied out. No other way to say it. That's what he did. And I don't want him on. I'm glad he wasn't on. No, thank you. I've said time and time again, I absolutely 1,000% Hold him accountable for 18,000 elderly people dying, 1,000%. But he goes on John's show, and of course, and i got to hear about it all day on Sunday. Why does your boss, your friend, keep bringing on Cuomo? Listen, that's John's deal. I love John. John knows what he's doing. He's made $4 billion in his lifetime. I don't tell John what to do, and John doesn't tell me what to do. You've got a great relationship. I respect him. I admire him. He respects me. He admires me. But I don't like Cuomo. And, of course, every time he comes on John's show, he finds a way to blame Republicans or Donald Trump, and he never, ever, ever accepts any responsibility for anything he did, which was a lot wrong, resulting in all kinds of issues for this city, broken businesses, broken lives, dead people. Never does. Never. So he was on again this Sunday at the Catch Round Table. That's how my Mother's Day started. Before I got one message wishing my gorgeous wife a happy Mother's Day, I had 10 yelling about Andrew Cuomo. Here's uh, Cuomo on, on the show yesterday with John talking about the migrant crisis, showing once again what a dick he is. Cut number 23. Before you invite people into the country, you have to know that you have the resources to handle it. And they didn't. And now what the Republican governors did was despicable. Oh, really? I, mean, I get their point. Uh, Texas did and Florida did, sending immigrants around the country like they were pawns, were really uh, was despicable. But their point was you're overwhelming the border states, right? Uh, and it's gotten to a point where it's, it's overwhelmed cities all across the country. You look at New York City now, John. What's happening to New York City and Mayor Eric Adams uh, it's one of the major problems that the mayor has, which is really bizarre, since immigration is not his problem. Not his problem, I agree. And again, Eric is a friend of mine, but maybe you want to stop referring to yourself as a Biden of Brooklyn. It's great that all of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, the mayor came out and yelled and screamed about the federal government, still never named Joe Biden by name, never, never, the federal government. But you can't be complicit, Andrew. And I know for a fact you said yesterday you're proud that New York is a sanctuary state. Well, guess what? That's why you've got the issues you've got today. You can't have it both ways, dummy. 
you dumb bastard. You want to be a sanctuary city? Then you get this problem. You want to shed that? Then we start to talk about a resolution, a fix. Andrew Cuomo. What a dipshit. Uh, anyway, traffic coming up next with Joe Nolan. Then we'll talk to the former chief of staff for Mayor Eric Adams, my good buddy Frank Carone. But right now it's time for the 77 WABC clip of the day. Listen to the aforementioned my man, John Katsimatidis. Great show, Cats Roundtable. That's where common sense prevails. Always telling both sides of the story every Sunday morning starting at 8. And listen anytime on the 77 WABC app. Here, John talks with former Governor David Patterson. Tell us, uh, there's so many things going on in the state. Where do you want to begin? Well, let's start with a problem that I've addressed on this program before, why people just change based on the uniform that their friends are wearing. So, for instance, some time back, uh, Governor Abbott of Texas decided to bus some migrants to New York City, and everybody thought that that was a great idea. I didn't, per se, think it was a great idea, but I thought it was a brilliant political move, and the Post actually wrote about that. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Well, Justin Ellick here with your bottom-of-the-hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com. Find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers. We'll start on the diamond here. The Mets essentially split a doubleheader in Washington against the Nats, losing the completion of Saturday night's rainout by a score of 4-2 before bouncing back with a convincing 8-2 win in the second game. Mets fans would breathe a, a collective sigh of relief watching Max Scherzer turn in a very steady performance in his return from neck spasms. The righty only allowing one earned run on two hits over five innings pitch. The Mets go for a four-game series win this afternoon at 4.05 in D.C. David Peterson will get the start against uh, Washington's Patrick Corbin. As for the Yankees, they went back and forth with the first-place raise all weekend long in the Bronx, losing the finale yesterday 8-7 to to register a series split and remain eight games back of Tampa Bay. They'll head north to Toronto next for a four-game series with the Blue Jays set to begin tonight at 7.07 p.m. Eastern time. The Yanks have yet to name a starter to go up against Toronto's Alec Manoa. And on the hardwood following the Knicks' 96-92 to loss on Friday night to end their season, the Miami Heat away the winner of the Boston Celtics and Philadelphia 76ers series to see who they'd tip it off with in the Eastern Conference Finals. They got their answer yesterday in the Celtics, who ousted the Sixers by a score of 112 to 88 in Game 7. The matchup between Boston and Miami is set to get underway Wednesday night in Boston. As for the Western Conference Finals, the Lakers and Nuggets look forward to Game 1 tomorrow night in Denver. The Memphis Grizzlies, in non-court-related basketball news, have suspended John Moran from all team activities after a video showing the star once again holding a gun began circulating on social media Saturday night. The Grizzlies announced the suspension, which is pending a league review in a statement yesterday, two months after the NBA had already suspended Morant over a very, very similar, almost identical incident. The team did not provide further comment. And lastly, here on the ice, Vegas eliminates Edmonton in Game 6 by a score of 5-2. to two. They'll meet the winner of Seattle and Dallas in the Western Conference Final. And the East is set, with Florida moving on to face it off with Carolina. Here with sports, sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers. And I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC.
had switched to overload And nobody's gonna go to school today She's gonna make them stay at home And Daddy doesn't understand it He always said she was good as gold And he can see no reasons Cause there are no reasons What reason do you need to be shown? Boomtown Rats. I don't like Mondays. <laughs> yeah. Most people hate Mondays. I don't mind them. I just had a wonderful weekend with my beautiful wife, Danielle. Great Mother's Day yesterday. Gabriel, Ava was terrific. But it is Monday. Lots of you were pissed off, and certainly the content in the first 47 minutes of this show this morning didn't help with the Jordan Neely disaster and the migrants. But I've got a great guest hopping on now. He's become a, a great friend of my wife and I. Him and his brother, his brother Anthony, actually lives out by me in Bell Harbor. Frank Carone uh, spent uh, the first uh, year as Mayor uh, Eric Adams' chief of staff. Now he's got his own business. He's doing very, very well. But he knows politics as well as anybody. And, in fact, back in December, I guess, when Stephen Van Zant of the E Street Band invited Danielle and I to this wonderful police ball. It's an annual event. They gave Frank Carone an award that night. So here he is, the former chief of staff for Mayor Eric Adams and a good buddy of ours, Frank Carone. Frank, good Monday morning, buddy. How are you? Good morning, Sid. And, and, and uh, you, you, you said it right. Not everybody loves Monday, but it's a beautiful day and happy to be here. And great to spend that night with you and your wife in support of the men and women, both active and retired NYPD uh, and their children. It was a great night, and uh, Gary Bonds was terrific. And, you know, that'll bring us to uh, the Mayor Adams story that you want to get to, which is the mayor was at a commencement address for CUNY, doing something for CUNY. And he mentioned the fact, of course, that he was a cop for 22 years. And people go back and forth what kind of cop he was. I don't care. He was a cop for 22 years. And then these kids, these college kids, which are really, really becoming a huge issue in this country, they started booing the mayor. Now, I don't care if you like Eric Adams or not. You understand, Frank, a lot of my listeners don't like him. I don't care whether you like him or not. He's there. He's a public official. He's the mayor of New York City. He served this city as a police officer. And these snot-nosed kids who have done nothing in their lives up to this point, very disrespectful to boo the mayor. And I know you feel the same way. Yeah, I, I do. I do, Sid. And uh, it was disappointing to see. But just uh, what you said a moment ago, you're right. There, We know that there are many uh, listeners and New York City citizens who both like the mayor and who disagree with the mayor. And one thing that if the mayor was here, he would say himself, he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't run to become mayor so he could be liked and uh, agreed with by everyone. He says all the time, we say all the time, nine million New Yorkers and 35 million opinions. But he did become mayor to make a change and he believes in what he's doing. And yeah, I thought it was, you know, from from where, where I sit and the way I was uh, raised and the service in my family, my, my grandfather fought in the Battle of the Bulge. You could disagree without being disagreeable and being respectful. And just upon reflection and after the emotions died down a little, I say, what, what are the students really, what are these law, lawyers really, new lawyers, soon to be new lawyers? Uh, what are they? What are they doing? Well, it, it was broken down to, to three issues, as I see it. One, as soon as he was announced as uh, a man who served in NYPD for 22 years, wearing a bulletproof vest, that triggered the set of boos. The mere fact of his service. Second, was it that he made necessary and prudent 
what we call PEG requirements, which for those who don't know, PEG, the program to eliminate the gap. And that gap is the gap in the upcoming budget. The mayor has, and we've done this since day one, just did forecasts of upcoming budgets and said, look, we don't know the storm that's coming with the vacancies in office space and et cetera after COVID. And it looks as though the budget may take some pressure going forward. We need to cut 3% across the board objectively um, as best as we can, and agencies need to find those PEG requirements. So is that the second thing they were upset about? Or is it his position on the Jordan Neely incident, which I'll get to also in a moment? But all three of those uh, I could easily swat away and, and, and explain how they're all three misplaced and intellectually dishonest. Well, the Jordan, the only thing I have to tell you is where he's got a lot of New Yorkers upset. And, look, you know that I forged a friendship with Eric Adams, but I'm, I'm critical of Eric when I need to be. You know, you can't uh, call yourself a sanctuary city, Frank, and then bitch and complain about the migrant crisis. can't be yelling and screaming about Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis, uh, DeSantis and then send people to Rockland County or to uh, our neighborhood in uh, Rockaway or these other places. So right there he's coming off very inconsistent and not being truthful. Don't ever refer to yourself, by the way, as Biden of anything, let alone Biden of Brooklyn. But with the Jordan Neely thing, he was the only one, Frank, Mayor Adams, who came out and did a good job. Kathy Hochul, disgusting. Brad Lander, we'll get to him, horrible. Al Sharpton, gross. The only one that stepped up and said, hey, let's get the details, let's slow down. You know, the New York City subways aren't exactly all that safe, was Adams. And now it seems like he's done a complete 180. Now, all of a sudden, Jordan Neely is the greatest person God ever created. And if I hear one more time that he was black or brown, Frank, I don't care. That's become the story that a white guy killed a black guy. And every time Eric Adams uses the word racist in describing, you know, whether it's Ed Day or Governor Abbott, I think he's doing himself a disservice and black people. So while I commend Eric on some things he's done well and enjoy our friendship, these two stories in particular, he's not doing a great job, Frank. He's not. You know, so the, this incident, it's, it's one of those lightning rod incidents that just raises emotions depending on where you're sitting. But let's just talk about the three things that we know for certain. And, and I think this is where the mayor's position is derived from. The first is that a man is, is dead unnecessarily. The second, a man is arrested and presumed innocent. And the third, highlight of a mental health epidemic. You know, while I was on hold to come on just now, I just heard in uh, your advertisement, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So what is the what is the mayor doing with it just the other day? What he was trying to do uh, is raise awareness for just, as you say, mental health. Who has done the most for the Jordan Neely incident? Who is, who is really using his bully pulpit the most? It's Mayor Adams. He has fought in Albany for appropriate tools to evaluate and treat the epidemic of mental illness after COVID, which are young people with smartphones, the weak laws. And he has said the fact is that persons who suffer often are unaware of their own inability to care for themselves and if they're a danger to themselves or others. And that's why he worked very hard in Albany. And unfortunately, at this point, there's still hope, but it's not yet passed, the Supportive Intervention Act, which would give uh, the government, healthcare workers, professionals, the tools necessary to identify and treat those that are unable to treat for themselves. So he is using what he has to bring awareness. He's using this tragedy on all sides to bring awareness and make sure this did not happen in vain. So he believes, as I do, that wandering the street is not an answer to suffering. It's tragic irony. 
And you just have to ask yourself, where are the electeds who were uh, acting as activists when he was in Albany fighting for effective tools to treat those in need? Listen, I'm with you on that. And I think the last mayor, Bill de Blasio, and his crooked wife that basically stole $1.5 billion for that Thrive program. Truth is, if she spent that money, Frank, the way she should have, Jordan Neely never would have been on the streets. And I know Eric has tried at times to help with this issue. My issue is he goes to that race card and he goes there very, very quickly. He said three times the last couple of days, this shouldn't be happening to black and brown people. I don't care what color Jordan Neely is. Quite frankly, I don't care what color Daniel Penny is. And again, Frank, I go back. Governor Abbott, he's a racist, white guy. Governor Day, he's an anti-Semite. And he says, by the way, there are more Jews in Rockland County than any place in this city. What do you mean he's an anti-Semite? So my issue is, yes, you're right. He is trying. He's developed plans. But when it doesn't go his way, everybody's a racist? Come on, Frank. Come on. No, you know, we, we both know our, we both know the mayor very, very well, and he's the furthest thing from using any cards at any time. And he's uh, the most humble, decent human being that I've come to know and very giving with himself. And if he's highlighting an issue, he's doing it because he believes in it, not because he's using any cards. And, and he's what I think he really genuinely – and we talked about this uh, – uh, when I was I was ill the other day, called to see how I was doing, and you know, the fact remains. He said to him, "Look, just stay, stay the course. Believe in yourself. Believe in what what your administration is about. It's about making systemic change, mental health, mental health illness, bring awareness, get the necessary tools. It's an epidemic. People are in the streets. They need help. They don't know they're a danger to themselves, to others, and there's no dignity in it. No, there's no dignity. That's true. So I did want to bring up uh, Frank Caron doing a real good job here." Uh, Brad Lander, the controller, he was another guy, like I mentioned earlier, that came out and wanted to give Daniel Penny the death penalty right away. But he, uh, you know, there's been a lot of protests, obviously, CUNY and all the things that uh, that you and I talked about when it comes to the budget, you know. And uh, Brad Lander is right there at the front of the line. From one day to the next, I can't really figure out what Brad Lander stands for. Now, I don't like him. Let me be fully transparent here, Frank. I don't like him. I think he's a bad guy and a horrible politician. What are your thoughts on the controller, Brad Lander? Well, let's talk about CUNY. As you see, uh, our controller was busy uh, acting as an activist, complaining about some of our peg, some of the city's peg cuts. But let's just talk about CUNY for a moment. What you don't see people saying is that this particular, this mayor with enormous work by the administration behind the scenes, successfully had partnered with the governor to recreate a 1.5 million square feet square foot block on Hunter College and 25th and 1st to create what's called SPARK, Science Park and Research Campus. This is the first life science campus, $1.6 billion project, which will recreate that campus from, from kindergarten through workforce development. This was six months ago. Six months ago, working tirelessly behind the scenes, partnering with the governor to build an incredible life science campus on a dilapidated campus now, which sits there uh, in that site. So, so you don't hear much about that work, but you do hear about an objective, prudent, required PEG requirements. But the controller knows better. He knows the numbers. He knows them all too well. What he should be speaking about is, what is gonna, how is he handling the pension funds? How is he going to make sure that those, those retirees who worked – uh, with dignity and trust, have those returns necessary when they retire, rather than championing or pounding his checks that chest that CUNY cuts should be exempt. Is it just CUNY? Is it another agency? Which one? The mayor 
prudently chose across the board objectively to cut to save for a rainy day, which is absolutely necessary. And you'll ask the question as well, what is that, when is that rainy day coming? Perhaps when the real estate taxes are reset in two, two years, two to three years, when the numbers show that 40% vacancies in, in the office space and those, all of those real estate prop, all those real estate properties, those taxes are reset and the, the city has less tax revenue to rely upon, all of this is are, are, are indicia and circumstances to be prepared for, and that's what the mayor is doing. So I find it completely inappropriate for the controller to act as an activist rather than a manager, safeguarding the city's uh, retirees' pension funds, of which my mother is one of them, and I and I'm worried for her uh, her, her fund, and I'm worried about her uh, my my mother's husband and my family. So I think the real uh, work I I like to see done by the controller is making sure that the retirees' pension funds are liquid, stable, and there for them as they trust they will be. I got to tell you, first of all, this is a great conversation. When are you going to run for office, Frank? I mean, I mean, you know this city as well as anyone. It was a great privilege to serve. I was I'm so so incredibly grateful to the mayor to give me the opportunity. And then, by the way, the administration, they, they're, they're working. They are truly working tirelessly, 10, 20 hours a day, trying to struggle with uh, everyday problems. And it was a great, great privilege to serve this wonderful city. Although you live in Queens, so we won't hold that against you. My <laughs> I'm happy where I am in Brooklyn. Yeah, no, you live in a great place, too. Brooklyn, I, of course, I spent most of my life in Brooklyn. But uh, you guys are both great, you and uh, you and your brother. And I look forward to a bunch of weekends on the beach, whether it's my house, your brother's house, or Wherever, maybe Boca. I know your wife loves Boca too. So yeah, she loves Boca. Yeah, so does my daughter. Yeah, can't blame them. <laughs> it yeah. was it was great having you on this morning. Keep coming back, okay, Frank? Really, this was terrific. Thank you, Sid. Thank you. There he is, a former chief of staff from Mayor Adams. He's really a super, super guy. My friend Frank Carone, him and his brother Anthony, two very, very good people. As we wrap up our number one of this Monday edition of Sid and Friends in the morning. Got a very busy hour number two about to come your way with three guests, Curtis Sliwa, Jennifer Harrison, and Rich Lowry. An exciting hour number two on a Monday morning on New York's favorite talk show. That's me, Sid Rosenberg, about to come your way. Only right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Monday morning, 7-11. Thanks again to Frank Carone. Still to come, Jennifer Harrison, Rich Lowry, Charlie Gasparino, Gnomes Nuggets, Laura Curran, Arthur Idala, and more. But we do put this time aside every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. He gets three days a week because he's that good. Host noon to one every weekday afternoon, all weekend long. Mr. Guardian Angel himself, a New York icon, a legend, my dear friend Curtis Lee. Now, he said... Play YMCA. I've got good news for you and Lou. Now, I don't know what he's talking about. I swear to God I don't. But I know, of course, that YMCA was sung by the village people. And uh, when you think of the village people, you think of one word, gay. 
So I'm not sure where you're going, Curtis, but something uh, tells me wait, wait, wait. I'm on the right track. YMCA, Young Men's Christian uh, <laughs> Organization, right? Well, I'm Jewish. Yeah, well, you know, you had the what, Y-H-O uh, <laughs> or whatever, Young Hebrew Organization. Anyway, I have really good news for you. You do. Yeah. Who would have ever thought that George Steinbrenner and Donald Trump, who used to sit in the owner's box with George on so many occasions when the Yankees would play, that both these guys would choose the Village People's YMCA as a theme song. Well, no, what they did it was they still use it. They use it during the seventh inning stretch when they clean the field. No, no, fifth inning. Fifth, fifth inning. inning, right. The seventh inning stretch actually sing. Uh, right. right, hey, let's, get, let's get our innings right. right, right. right. People are waiting for yeah. YMCA. And I'm saying, wow, George Steinbrenner chose this song. Yeah. Does he realize the origin of it? No, nah, he doesn't care. Donald Trump at his rallies, right? If he he would have had a rally in Iowa, if not for the tornado watch this weekend, they would have been playing the Village People, <laughs> YMCA. Yeah. And I said, oh, the good news on Friday late in the day. You weren't aware of this because you already had booked out for the weekend. John Katsimatidis, our owner and operator, sent out a Red Apple media text that he has now taken into his possession a double-decker bus, a WABC bus, to be used in parades. And I said, John, first parade has got to be on June 25th, <laughs> Gay Pride Parade, and we've got to have Sid Rosenberg oh and Lou up there on the stage in their chaps, you know, yes. in their little vests with their, well, with their little tidy whities on. Two things. First of all, June 25th happens to be my 31-year wedding anniversary to my gorgeous wife, Danielle. But secondly, the reason why you're saying this is last week, because I had that banner week, I had Trump on, all these other fine folks, Lewis sent me a very, very beautiful message. Mind you that Academy Award-winning actor John Voight and actor Scott Bayo both followed up with I Love Yous on Friday. Oh, it wasn't so you felt a lot of love. They, they were swapping spit with you. They were <laughs> lip-locking with you. And I said to myself, perfect opportunity. Your wife uh, would understand. It's a midlife crisis for you. You and Lou on the stage and in the back of Hot Tub with your very dear friend Anthony Caron there. You guys could go swimming with him, singing YMCA. Uh, It's just right out of the Sopranos. Vito Spadafori and Jim Johnny Cakes Witowski, right? Man, manly love at its best. Come on. You'll be reaching a new audience here, Sid. You'll hey. expand the audience to a point where nobody will ever catch you in a month of Sundays. Let me tell you this. Anything for the show, Curtis. Anything for the show. You see, you heard that. <laughs> Mark that down. Uh, June 25th, <laughs> yeah. leading Gay Pride Parade. We'll be there. Will be the yeah. WABC double-decker bus br- brought to all of you by John Katsimatidis <laughs> with our leader here of the pack, WABC's own Sid Rosenberg, with Lou Ruffino showing man-leading love He's for ready. one another. Hey, Louie's got a great ass. Don't kid yourself. By the way, Dylan yeah. Mulvaney said she'd like to be on that float <laughs> yeah, along with George the Drag Queen Santos. I mean, we're making news here. Come on. Yeah, that is major news. Thank you for that. That's uh, that's nice to know. But on one hand, you give me great news. Then there's bad news. So I'm at Starbucks on Saturday morning. Yes. And I get an hysterical text from my friend Margaret Powers. Margaret is married to Paul King. You may remember Paul ran against, what is his name in Queens? Been there forever. African-American guy, Congress. Meeks. Um, Meeks. That's cook, right. Gregory the cook Meeks. always right. went to Red China at their exactly, expense. Exactly right. So Paul did lose that race. He's going to run again. But Margaret was freaking out. She goes, they're coming here. This fresh off the heels of Rockland County, upstate New York. My mother is furious. I go, what do you mean they're coming here? 
And she said, well, Kathy Hochul wants to house these migrants at Floyd Bennett Field. And I said, if you thought Ed Day in Rockland County made a big deal of it, you come anywhere near my neighborhood in Queens, I'm going to go nuts. So you had a piece of good news. Now you said to me, I've got a piece of bad news. That's all technology. You believe that when they threw out the fact, and that was your very dear friend, uh, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens, by the way. Whatever the illegal aliens want, the illegal illegal aliens get. And by the way, the rest of us who pay the taxes, we get who gots. We get pumpkins. The real I would plan. take Ferry away. I would maybe good friend at this point, no longer a very good friend because I'm really getting angry. Uh, despite Frank Caron's really perfect attempt to make me not angry, uh, calling people racist, shipping migrants all over town. He's done a lot lately that does not make me I got to tell you, after listening to Frank Caron, I had to go get three Red Bulls to come <laughs> in here and let fire it up. My no, God. he's a smart guy. Come on, he's doing a PSA. Not- that's fine. Now, now, yeah, now he's, he's like, my friend. He, they like the he is a very they good like friend. They like the uh, Irish Riviera, right? How come he didn't give you the inside information that I always give you? He first? doesn't live there. He lives in Brooklyn. Doesn't matter. His Anthony brother lives, lives there, there right? right? The guy was in the hot tub with you, right? <laughs> Doing rubber dub dub, right? Well, give me the the latest on this, okay. please. So, Floyd Benefield is Brooklyn. As you know. Yes, you go over the Marine Park Bridge. It's Brooklyn. And most of it is Excuse completely me. dilapidated. Marine, completely. Marine Park Bridge? Yes. Gil Hodges Bridge. That's fine. Let's yes. play tribute to Gil Hodges. Uh, I right? love Gil Hodges. Brooklyn sure. Dodgers yeah. run through your beloved New York uh, Mets. Yes. 1969 Miracle Mets. Who walks in? John Lindsay. He didn't even know who Gil Hodges was. I know. His press secretary said, that's Gil Hodges. Go up to him and tell him you're a Mets fan, and you're going to give him a parade through the Canyon of Heroes. Thank God he made the Hall of Fame finally last year, Gil Hodges. But that Floyd Bennett Field, as you know this, my son Gabriel went to day camp there last year. They've got Aviator Day Camp, which is a very nice day camp. Across the street, as you know, Curtis, mm. you've got the Miniature Golf, which yeah, does very, yeah, very well. Yeah, all the boats there. Too, all the all boats. The right, this is a very yeah, popular. Yeah, kids are playing soccer there. Schmuck, They're playing schmuck. football there. What are we doing schmuck here? Schmuck putts. Don't you understand this is technology? The fourth they want is Fort Tilden. Fort Tilden, which is on the way to Breezy Point. Right. Think about that. The beautiful ocean view, the beautiful sand. Yeah. There's nothing going on there right now, right? Well, Mike Sullivan just threw up. (laughs) Mike, Tom, and all the Sullivans just threw up because they own Breezy Point. They were out there surveying Fort Tilden. So the mayor said Floyd Bennett Field, so everybody would be distracted. You can't do it at Floyd Bennett Field. There's too much police activity going on, too much equipment there of a sensitive nature that nobody should know about. Unfortunately, we don't use it. We paid for it for the police department, but it's there. But their recruiting classes, to your point, actually, they do their work right there. Yeah. And the FBI has, like, a big deal every summer in August. And you're right. It's it's And, and the most of the... The buildings left there, as you know, Curtis, are completely dilapidated. Yeah, yeah, I tell you what. You keep thinking Floyd Benefield, right? You buy the distraction, the technology. And Frank Caron knew this, but he didn't tell you because loose lips sink ships. They're going to be in Fort Tilden. Underlay, underlay. Welcome all the amigos there. They'll be out there. And then they can visit you and Lou over in Reese Park Bay <laughs> 1 as you're rolling out your tar paper showing manly love. Get ready. He's going to drop it on Fort Tilden. It's not Kathy Crimewave Hocum. That's a federal facility. It's your mayor, Eric Adams, mayor of the illegal area. Well, just so you know, Fort Tilden is, is, is far from me. I mean, you got to get through Bell Harbor and a Ponset. 
You know, it's not like it's right down yeah, the block. You, you keep thinking that's far from you. Right? you uh, when they're walking through oh, your well, neighborhood, fine. So, 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 looking for day labor, right? So what could I do to when, stop when, this? When the mothers are there with their little babies selling candies right out of the box. My neighbor. Outside of your house. My neighbor. And you're saying, what the hell did I move back to the Rockaways for? Maybe I should go back to Battery Park City, right? Well, maybe Boca Raton and just go to New York altogether. Listen, you need to straighten your, 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 your mayor out. Let me tell you something. What do you want me to do? Tell me what to do. You tell colors. him simply. Yeah. When they come in on the bus at the Port Authority, instead of having your whole administration there in a receiving line, kissing them, telling them, what do you need? Whatever you need, we'll give you. Oh, homeless people here. Are you American? Get out of here. Uh, most need to start people like Neely. Go live in the subway. Live in the subway. You deserve the subway. You're not an illegal alien. If you're an illegal alien, we kiss you. We smooch you. We want to make love to you. We give you anything we want because I want to be Eric. Adams, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegals, and now we find out they're flying into JFK? Who's paying for it? A non-profits, right? NGOs. Hey, Catholic Charities, Cardinal Dolan. Bring them all into New York City, right? Flying them into JFK. Who's paying for this shit? You and I, if we fly, we got to pay for it ourselves. How do you end up flying into JFK from Mexico without ICE, the Immigration Naturalization Service, knowing, oh, I heard Andrew Evil Ice Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo. With John Katzmatidis yesterday morning at 8 o'clock saying, oh, Biden messed up on the border. Who's the one who called ICE thugs? In 2014, Andrew Lee Ice Cuomo. Hey, Andrew, attend the man. To see you, Provianos And you are just like Mario is. You called ICE thugs. You said that they are worse than MS-13, than 18th Street. Now all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that you're attacking Biden for the immigration plan. You were the governor of a sanctuary state. You promoted them coming here to New York with Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, with his $5,000 customized suit. Amigo, amigo, who's your daddy? I'm your Papa Chula. And who's paying for all of this? We suck at taxpayers in New York City. And what do they do in return? They give us congestion pricing. They got these restaurant huts up. They aren't doing business. And then they got these scaffolds up. They got the city bike stands up. You need to confront them. Andrew Evilized Cuomo, you are a fake, a phony, a fraud, and a fugazi! in the morning. 77 WABC. Here she comes. You know, we had a commercial right before Bill O'Reilly's morning message for Il Cortile, which is my favorite Italian restaurant in uh, Little Italy on Mulberry Street. Tommy and Sal do a great job. So I, I see on the uh, Instagram story on Saturday night, Katina another friend from that place, puts up a story, and it's a picture of me, the picture I took years ago at the Columbus Day Parade, blue suit, pink tie, pink uh, pocket square, 
Great picture. I must say myself. Great picture. And I'd given it to uh, Tommy. I signed it a couple of weeks ago when I went there for dinner with Danielle, Gabriel, and Gaby's friend Ashton. Anyway, it turns out they hung it. And Katina put up a picture, which is on my Instagram, of her pointing at the picture of me. I think it's next to the one of Jimmy Gandolfini. So, um, I'm burping, I'm sorry. I'm honored that uh, Il Cortile, which is a magnificent Italian restaurant, and Tommy and Sal and all the boys hung up my 8x10 picture. Thank you very much. Okay. We uh, had a couple of real good guests there, Frank Carone, Curtis Slee, were always amazing. And again, with this Jordan Neely story heating up, his funeral coming up on Friday, and all these uh, awful politicians and Al Sharpton, these two idiotic attorneys that uh, represent Jordan Neely, it's uh, becoming very, very difficult to continue to garner sympathy for this kid when, in fact, he turned out to be a menace. That's just a fact. And Tom Kniff, my dear friend, is trying to drill that point home right now as we speak when he sums up his case for Daniel Penny. No matter what anybody says, and no matter what Jordan Neely went through as a kid, Daniel Penny's a hero. Bottom line is, he's a hero. With that said, here's my friend, Victims' Rights New York, Jennifer Harrison. Jennifer, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Very good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. So I know you heard Cuomo on the station yesterday. You know, you, you boycotted the station in terms of coming on as a guest, but you continue to listen. And of all people, you despise Cuomo. Why would you listen to that? I didn't listen to it. I read about it in the post. And I'm just, I can't even believe that anybody would give this guy a platform to come on and spew the blatant lies and hypocrisy. You know, he's not a champion. He's not a hero. He destroyed, basically single-handedly, well, him and Melissa DeRosa, destroyed this state, Sid, and and to come on and now be a voice of reason on crime and immigration when he's the one that made New York a sanctuary state. Okay, he's the one that implemented. Well, yeah, he all actually these did say he actually did say yesterday that he was quote unquote proud that New York is a sanctuary state. Another reason to hate him. Yeah, exactly. And he's the one that shut down all of the mental hospitals. He's the one that that forced bail reform down our throat so that people like Jordan Neely could be a menace to society and and were on the streets instead of in, you know, institutionalized where they belong. All this is true. I I do. uh, And I'm sorry I get a kick out of it, but it's really not. It's not funny. It's it's pretty sad that he does come on now as if he's got all the answers. And then, like, he won't be critical for Kathy Hochul because he put her there. Right. He's the one who hired her, and eventually she took, she took over for him. But he's not going to be critical of Kathy when he should be, but he can't because he'd be a hypocrite. So it is ironic that all the problems he talks about, like he's got the answers for, he caused. All of them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I just, I, I've had enough of this guy. I really just wish that he would slither back under the rock that he crawled back out under, you know, after he killed my step-grandmother, her sister, and 15 others, 15,000 other people in nursing homes. Just needs to go back under his rock, Sid. Is he your least favorite politician? How old are you now, Jen? I'm curious. I'm actually, I'm 45, I think, at 1977. And actually, Governor Cuomo and I have the same birthday. No way. Yeah, of all people. Oh, my God. You and him. He's your least favorite politician ever. And, and you do a lot of work with politicians. Actually, I became uh, friendly with Lee Zeldin when I got to know you just a little bit. And I know you actually endorse and work with other politicians around New York. You think he's the worst politician we've ever had? 
I mean, him and and Biden, obviously, you know. But in in New York, yeah, I, he he's definitely up there with as the worst. What was the thing? He, that, he's, he's a complete scumbag, Sid. You know, and I I agree. What was the thing he said yesterday that angered you the most? I I just was reading in the in the post that you know the hypocrisy of it all. You know, like like I said, this guy comes out and says that the Democrats have to address crime, and now he's talking about illegal immigration when he's the one. It, it, the hypocrisy just gets me. And and then, but people believe it. When whenever this guy is given a platform, you have all the, like the Cuomo psychos that are still his fanatics out there. You know, even serial killers have a fan club. Let's not forget that. And this guy just gets on there and just talks. Like he's some kind of god and savior with all the crises that he created. Where are you right now on the Daniel Penny Jordan Neely situation? Well, you know, I think everybody's mistaking my compassion and wanting to address the the real issues at hand for you know wanting you know being very sympathetic to Jordan Neely, which you know I feel bad for what he went through as a child. Nobody should lose their mother in that manner or go through what he went through. But he was a menace, and he and he should have been either in jail or in an institution. That's where he belongs. That's where people belong when they cannot make competent decisions for themselves, take proper care of themselves, and when they are a danger to themselves or to others. So if Jordan Neely was in an institution or in jail where he belongs, then none of this would have happened. But so, I so you and I are on the same page. I mean, I said the same thing on this show many times. Jesse Waters that sure, 14 years old, mother gets murdered. You'd be an animal not to have some modicum of sympathy, but then to spend the rest of his life, you know, 40 arrests, punching an innocent 67-year-old woman across the face, scaring the daylights out of people in the subway every single day. I'm sorry, but some of that, uh, what he went through at 14 years old, you can't continue to carry that the rest of your life as an excuse to be a criminal. And 40 arrests, he's a criminal. So you're not on the same page. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Listen, the Democrats and the progressives that created this crisis want us divided. They want us to focus on race and instead of the issues and and the policies that they put in place because they know that they're at fault here. They're completely at fault. And, you know, I'm getting a little bit disgusted. You have Al Sharpton, another scumbag, getting in these people's ear, saying that race is an issue and and distracting from what needs to be addressed. And let's face it, like, we have Michelle Goh, we have Christina Lee, we had uh, Tommy Bailey, 27 murders on the subway. We have a lot of people that are being hurt and killed above ground. And we need to get Jordan Neely of today off of the streets there. Yep. Plenty more of them that that you see on a daily basis. I'm not in the city, but when I come in, I see it. After oh, I, I see it every day. I don't leave the city now. I work in Midtown. I live in Battery Park, and it is littered, this city. Every block I walk on, every subway I take with these psychos, some maybe aren't nasty, some aren't violent, but some certainly are. On the way out, you'd agree with this. If it was switched around and Daniel Penny was black and the guy in the subway was white, they'd have a parade down the Canyon of Heroes for that guy, right? Oh, of, of course. I mean, it's, it's again, here we go with the hypocrisy. And again, they're trying to distract us from the issues because and just like Biden is trying to distract, you know, he went and made that speech about race over the weekend because they know that their policies are failing. So they're going to play the race card. They're going to try and get everybody angry and riled up so that they don't focus on their failures, which is what we need to be focusing on if we want to make sure that this never happens again. And nobody Nobody said that was in that situation deserved to be there. Not you know, Jordan Neely should have been locked up where he belonged. Daniel Penny never should be going about living his life as a normal twenty four year old. I think he has a kid right now and, and you know, finding a wife and, and getting his life together, not dealing with
dealing with what he's dealing with right now. And, um, you know, it's just we have to change it. We have to get these people off of the streets and we have to uh, repeal bail reform and we have to strengthen Kendra's law. And we need to uh, audit all of the nonprofits and the, the complete criminals that are taking billions and billions of dollars from taxpayer money and not helping anybody. So in the last 30 seconds, people want to help you because you're. Yours is real. Victims' rights here in New York. How do they help you? Uh, you could go to victimsrightsnypac.com. We have a donation link. Um, all of my links for the media is on there and all the issues that we're fighting. Jennifer, it's always great job. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great morning. There she is, Jennifer Harrison. Victims' rights here in New York and always seems to make a lot of sense. The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note, the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. A new and very important poll just came out, the Morning Consult poll, highly respected. And it has us at 60, leading by a lot. 19 is second place, and then they get into the fives, fours, threes, twos, ones, and even some zeros in there, a lot of people. But this is incredible. So we're at 60% compared to 19%. And then big drop-offs, really big. And the 19% is going down. That's Ron DeSanctimonious. And you've been watching him fall. He's falling at record levels. And we'll keep it that way. So we got to make sure we have a great election. Got to win big. And we're leading crooked Joe Biden by a lot. A lot. The polls are showing we're seven points up, eight points, nine points, and even 11 points in one instance. So we're beating them all. And let's keep it that way because we're going to make America great again. We're going to take back our country. Put America first. Make America great again. Thank you very much. That's my guy, President Donald Trump. He had an epic conversation, 45, soon to be 47, and I just last Thursday. Everybody loved it, everybody. Said it was great, terrific. All the Trump adjectives that he uses, very laid back and just having a good time. That was fresh off his appearance the night before with CNN. You know, Caitlin Collins 
had the day off on Friday after that abortion that she provided the country with last Wednesday night. She was up, I think, Thursday and Friday. She's back today. What a disrespectful little snot-nosed baby. But she's going to get her own show, I think, at 9 o'clock on CNN, which nobody's going to watch. Nobody. But according to Trump, he killing everybody. Now, him and DeSantis, you know, Iowa this weekend, DeSantis uh, said something, but I don't believe has still officially jumped in the race yet. I don't believe. But we'll find all these things out for my next guest, who's great every Monday morning, the editor of the National Review, Politico NBC. He does it all, my dear friend, Rich Lowry. Richard, good morning, buddy. How are you? Good, Sid. A little, a little jealous. I need to keep up with you. I need to get a, a signed picture of myself up on that wall of the Greek restaurant we went to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great – it's on 44th Street. I think it's like right across the street from the Harvard Club. And that was a great lunch you and I had. You know that was like the hottest day in the history of New York City that day? Do you remember that? It was warm. Yeah. It was hot. So we got to get together at the Murray Hill Diner. That's that's our next that's a, spot. That's perfect. It's funny you say that. Because uh, we went uh, for Mother's Day yesterday to Wolfgang's, the one on 33rd and Park. So we walked down the block, uh, me, Danielle, Abe, and Gabe, and we walked past Villa Barulia. George Napolitano loves that place, so do we. That's the Italian restaurant across the street from Murray Hill Diner. And I got to tell you, Rich, I spent very little time in Murray Hill my whole life. I did go to Baruch, you know, 40 years ago on 23rd uh-huh. and Lex. But very little time, and now all of the references that have been made in my life the last month that I have involve Murray Hill. Isn't that oh, hilarious? Hell. Hilarious. Hey, uh, i, I got to give credit, by the way, speaking of that town hall, to Bill O'Reilly. I, I was listening to, to uh, Bill talking to you, and, and you were asking, why is Trump going on CNN? You know, they hate him. And he's like, watch. This is going to work so well for, for Donald Trump. He was right. Steamroll that woman, because very few people can handle him. And yes, CNN ratings will go up, but this will be really good for, for Trump. And it was, it was absolutely right. Well, the, the New York Daily News ran a story yesterday. And uh, for some reason, I get uh, alerts. I hate that paper, but I get alerts. And it said, it seems like nothing can stop Trump now. And they made the point that after he got indicted and arraigned in New York, that nonsense with Alvin Bragg, his numbers went up. After mm-hmm. the verdict came back, sexual abuse, which is complete nonsense, in the E. Jean Carroll deal, his numbers went up. Mm-hmm. And after Wednesday night with Democrats saying, oh, now you see how crazy he is, he was actually great, his numbers went up. So I think the Democrats are coming to the realization they can bash him all morning, what they're doing on MSNBC and CNN. It ain't going to matter. Right now, he's a giant yeah, he's a giant. I was looking at this Emerson poll. I hadn't seen the morning consult poll. He was mentioning that clip he played. But Emerson has him 62 to 16 over oh DeSantis. Oh, my God. I would say the Achilles heel, though, is is Iowa. It looks like he's softer in Iowa. He loses in Iowa. At the very least, it's a, a real competitive race. No, it's not because he's going to kill DeSantis in New Hampshire. Let me ask you this in all seriousness. DeSantis uh, had momentum back in December. That was a horrible month for Donald Trump. We all know that. Kanye West, the Constitution. Then he does the one thing, I think, which completely turned it all around, and that was he shows up in Ohio. Biden didn't do it. Buttigieg didn't do it. And there's Trump handing out water to sick people in Ohio. Ever since that day, I can go back to that day, ever since that day, he's been doing great. The longer DeSantis waits, the bigger the lead has become. What is what is he waiting for? He's getting crushed before he starts. 
Well, I think he, he couldn't just get reelected governor and then say bye. He, right, he, got right. to, he had to do the legislative session. And these things are, are big undertakings, and it could be he got in in February and made all sorts of rookie mistakes, and it, this would have been a terrible period for him anyway. So I don't think – if DeSantis doesn't win the nomination, it's not going to be because he waited until June rather than going in February. It, it won't be that. And the main thing that, that's changed – uh, I think you're right about East Palestine being a bit of an inflection point. You know, it, it started a much better period for Trump. But the thing that really changed it was the indictment, and that's totally out of DeSantis's control. And look, if Trump's at 50 percent, you know, in uh, uh, next year in February, it's it's over, and it doesn't matter what DeSantis, you know, right. has said and done. Right. Uh, he has to trust that there, there's a, a a bit of a still an, an artificial bump here that'll that'll come. Some of the air will come out of the balloon, and it'll be competitive in Iowa. Beats him in Iowa, maybe loses in New Hampshire, but you still you have a you have a real race. No, I don't see DeSantis it. DeSantis had 37 endorsements of uh, Iowa legislatures the other day, which is a sign he's not dead. He had a, a good trip there again, a sign he's not dead. So he's in the game, but no doubt Trump is the odds-on favorite. It's more than that, though. He's in the game, but he's on life support. I mean, he's not dead, but at any point we can pull the plug. I mean, uh, you know, I would say life support is is strong. Strong, maybe maybe, maybe in a hospital gown, okay. but walking around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go with that. That's fine. And on the other side, it looks like uh, your friend that you go to dinner with all the time, Kennedy, he's uh, making some progress with Joe Biden. That's <laughs> Yeah, that's it's a little hard to figure. It must be some people must think he's the the other the other Bobby Kennedy. Um, and uh, you know, but his message there's there's some element of the Democratic Party that still still likes that. You know, we've kind of reversed field where it used to be the Democrats are the ones that be, be skeptical of the vaccines. You know, now they're like, you know, we're, we're going to restrain you and hold you down and, and mandate it. <laughs> your arm is jabbed. Um, but he's you know he, he's a substantive guy, Kennedy, and has interesting things to say. And it'll be a disgrace, you know, if he's 20 percent in several months, which probably will be, maybe a little higher, and and they refuse to have a debate, which is what they're going to try to do. This is Rich Lowry, so great every Monday morning, editor of National Review. A lot of his stuff is syndicated right here in the New York Post. Uh, let's talk uh, about local stuff. That's Eric Adams. I had Frank Caron on first hour. He was Eric's chief of staff. Uh, had Curtis Sliwa on. He uh, Nothing is more exciting to him than bashing the mayor. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Uh, but there are two stories going on right now that really put the mayor in the spotlight, and I don't think either one has gone well for the mayor. One is it seems like he's done a reverse on the Jordan Neely story, the young kid who was uh, who died. I almost say he was killed. He died in the subway while hero Daniel Penny was protecting other subway riders. And the other one, of course, is the migrant crisis. Now they're talking yeah. about sending people to my neighborhood, which really pisses me off. Yeah. Yeah. So while well, you tell me those two stories, Mayor Eric Adams, how does he come off? Well, uh, on, on the Neely thing, I entirely agree with you, the great lady who's just, just on. You know, th- this is a terrible tragedy all around, and, and Neely should have um, – was out of his mind and should have gotten the proper care, and he never would have put anyone in that situation. And I do wonder about Penny, just the, the video – you know, at the end, the last couple minutes, no one's in that subway car except for a couple of people helping him out, and he still has has him in a headlock. The 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 uh, the thing is, are you really going to be able to indict him with a with, uh, to to get him uh, get a guilty charge from a New York jury? That seems very unlikely. And you know, they rendered aid when the, the other guy comes in and says, "Hey, wait a minute, you're you're going too far. You're going to kill him." He lets him go, and they put him in the recovery position, and they they they're solicitous, you know. So I think it's going to be really char- hard to uh, get a guilty charge. 
on Penny, and that that you know would would counsel don't charge him. But uh, but you know what's funny about that is, uh, yeah. like Republicans, for example, when things don't go our way, and it happens, right? We don't loot, we don't start fires, we don't protest, even not even protest. We don't certainly don't beat up people on the street. If it goes the way you say it's going to go, and I agree one thousand percent, Tom Knipp is attorney, is a good friend of mine. This guy is not going to be guilty of this. I'm telling you, he's not going to be guilty. You know what the possibility is here on the streets of New York? Why is that the case? Why three years after BLM and Antifa set the world on fire, are we still nervous about these crazy Democrats in our streets? How is that? Well, I mean, we've had to be nervous about it for, for 50 years. You know, they're the party of uh, uh, or the tendency of rioting and making excuses for rioting. And, uh, yeah, you know, you have to board stuff up and search cops and uh, all, all the rest of it. Um, on the migrants, you know, it's funny. We're going to end up by passing them all the way up to Canada. Because, <laughs> you know, the, the thing is, even though the people are most pro-migrant, and like I think we should have sympathy for desperate people, but they're a burden. You know, you got to send their kids to school; they don't know English. You got to give them health care; it's expensive. You got to find housing for them; you don't have it. So all, all this again and again. I mean, we've talked about this so many times. Just stop it at the border. That's that's how you make everyone happy, right? Texas doesn't have to bus anyone. Eric Adams doesn't have to receive and then bus bus others. If you just stop it at the source. So why that's wouldn't the then? Thing. You know, I, I was doing laundry yesterday. And uh, some young girl was in the laundry room. She's a teacher, and uh, she went to Binghamton. Smart girl, you know. And when I said she's a, she folded one of her shirts. That's how the conversation started, out of the dryer, and it said Biden Harris 2020. <laughs> and I said, let me tell you the difference between you and me. I'm a Trump supporter. I am a fierce Trump supporter. But I'll talk to you. But I have to ask you, why? And then we discussed all these major topics, and it got to the border. And she refused, she refused to give Donald Trump any credit. I said, well, wait a second. We don't have any of these issues. The Remain in Mexico policy works. Forget about Title 42. Remain in Mexico. And your stupid president, in his effort to unravel everything Trump did well, just got rid of it. Why? She couldn't answer. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of them don't even know, right? They, they think the, the entirety of the Trump border policy was child, so-called child separations. You know, oh, she mentioned that right away. Oh, right away she yeah. goes, oh, you're okay with – I go, they won't come. If they love their children, they'll stay where they are, uh, just like Trump said on CNN Wednesday night. They won't come. Yeah. And the you know, policy lasted about a week, and then they found out stuff that, that was humane and worked. Right. Like, remain in Mexico, top of the list. And the thing is now, if you let in all the kids, it's an incentive to send all the kids. You know, they, they separate in Guatemala rather than at the border, and they, then they send them alone on this horrifically dangerous track. So it's, it's just a, a horrible situation all around. Last week, I mean, um, uh, early in the week, we had 11,000 apprehensions. I mean, these are just off the charts kind of numbers, and uh, the, every indication it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep going. And Agreed. So, just... so what do you think, Mayor Eric, I mean, we called out the foreign, first he wanted billions of dollars, he never got it, then he called out the foreign government, that's what he says, he never says Joe Biden, mm -hmm. he refers himself as the Biden of Brooklyn, which is really embarrassing, but, you know, the, the foreign, the, the national government, whatever the hell, federal government, uh, what do you think, uh, my, my listeners, for example, go, he needs to call out Biden by name, yeah. hey, Joe Biden, 
Just like Kathy Hochul makes his job difficult every day with bail reform. Hey, Joe Biden, you're making my job impossible. Do something. Is it as simple yeah, as that? And say, call them out by name and support by name those Democrats, the four of them now in the Senate, who want to restore Title 42 and, and extend it for two years. You know, I, I think there are better things to do, but that, that at least would stem some of this. So, yeah, you, you know, you got a voice. Use it. And not just whining, calling out the person who's responsible for this. And that, that absolutely has more force as a, as, a, as a Democrat with the platform. I mean, I love this job. And I'm so excited we got to number one, and I become a legitimate force in this city. That sounds narcissistic, but it's true. It is what it is. And I love my house in Queens, and I still love New York, but I'm not going to lie to you. I I entertain the thought of leaving all the time. Lou, for example, my my, uh, board-up, Lou Rubino, he can't wait to get out of here. And, you know, you start losing some people who pay some legitimate taxes, people who are successful. Not these low lives walking around in the street getting everything for free. Is it going to take all of that for these people to come to the realization they're destroying our city and state? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a breaking point. We've learned there's a breaking point in the last couple of years. Even places like San Francisco re- recalled that Bodine, uh, Soros prosecutor. How's but it gotten it, any better if you watch Dave Chappelle yeah. this weekend? He killed San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but uh, it's not uh, it's not going the full Rudy, which is what uh, right. pretty much every major urban area in the country needs. The full Rudy, I love that. That's brilliant. What's worse right now, New York City or the Yankees? Uh, <laughs> New York City. Come on, what's worse right now, the Yankees or the Mets? The Mets? No, the Mets are disgusting. Oh, God, am I mad at the Mets? You're right about that. Hey, I'm, listen. I'm, I'm relaxed about the Yankees. It's a, it's a long season. I know. Long season. By the way, Rich Lowry, if you go to page 22 in your favorite paper, where a lot of your National Review stuff is often syndicated, the New York Post, there's a lovely picture of you in between Joseph Tacopina and the aforementioned Lou Rufino. Oh, awesome. All right. Go check I got, it out. I gotta, look at, I gotta look at it. All right, you're, uh, you're on the list of uh, friends again for the second consecutive awesome. month. So. Awesome. I, I got to stay on your good side. So I can stay on your side. <laughs> you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame it, take it to that Greek restaurant, frame it, <laughs> sign it, say, this is on the wall. Come on. If you if you do that, I swear to God, I'll meet you for lunch here next week, okay? <laughs> Great job today, Rich. Thank you. All right, thanks, Ed. Every Monday, he's so terrific, the editor of the National Review, Political, NBC. Just a smart guy. John always talks about common sense, guys. I think Rich Lowry is about as common sense as it gets. Two great hours, lots more to do, a little more Asia. Only time will tell. Radio 77 WABC. Oi! This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. Shadows are falling and I'm running out of breath. Keep me in your heart for a while. If I leave you, it doesn't mean I love you any less. Keep me in your heart for a while. When you get up in the morning and you see that crazy sun, keep me in your heart for a while. There's a train leaving nightly called when all is said and done. Keep me in your heart for a while.
Sivan, keep me in your heart for a while. Take a quick break from the last two hours, which included four great guests, Frank Caron, Curtis Sliwa, Jennifer Harrison, on which Lowry, and all the talk about Eric Adams and the migrants and Jordan Neely, and, of course, uh, Mayorkas and Biden and Donald Trump. I went for dinner on a Friday night with my wife, Danielle, just us. Um, it was like we became empty nesters overnight. My 14-year-old son was watching the Nick game with a buddy. And my daughter, Ava, is always out. And we had a very nice Italian dinner. And it was a lovely night. And we walked home. I got back to my apartment. And my phone started to buzz. And I saw a recent post on Facebook from a very good friend of mine. His name is John Turnour. But he's known to most radio fans as JT the Brick. JT the Brick is a very popular sports talk radio show host. He's national. Locally, you may have heard of him because he does fill in quite a bit for Chris Russo from Russo Vacations for his show, Mad Dog Unleashed. But I got to know JT over the years because one of my first syndication deals ever with Scott Kaplan way back when, in 1999, was through Sports Fan Radio Network. And at the time, the two biggest stars were the fabulous Sports Babe and JT the Brick. Well, years and years later, JT and I became friendly again because I ended up uh, meeting these two lovely ladies, Sandy Ortiz and Tracy Bowden, and uh, they reached out to uh, different sports stations because they were running all the big fights for HBO, all of them. Tyson fights, De La Hoya, Mayweather, Pacquiao. This was the golden age. Tyson Lewis. In Tennessee, that may have been Showtime, actually. I stand corrected. That was Showtime. But they had these fights in Vegas all the time, and Sandy and Tracy reached out to a bunch of sports stations. They knew me from my days at WFAN in New York. At the time, I was down in Miami. And they set up something at all these fights called Radio Row, which is very, very similar to what you see during the Super Bowl. You guys know that, Lou and Justin. You have 100 shows. Here, they only picked 10. 10. They had, like, Max Kellerman... They had a guy named, they had JT the Brick. They had some guy, I think, named Vic the Brick out in Los Angeles. It was always the same group of people. And a couple of times a year, they would send me, my producer, Steve Zemak, and other folks from my station out to Vegas. We would spend two days doing live shows. We'd fly out to Vegas on a Wednesday night, do my shows from Radio Road Thursday and Friday from the MGM or the Wynn, bunch of hotels. And then go to the fight on Saturday and come home Sunday. But we did Vegas. We did New York, Holyfield, Lewis. We did Dallas, Pacquiao, Margarita. We did a whole bunch of different venues all over the country. And it was fun. And seeing Sandy and Tracy was like being with friends for 100 years. I remember I would get to the city of choice and I'd see them right away. And they would outline our next couple of days and... It was great. In fact, um, I have pictures here that I received yesterday, way back when, I think 2011. Wolfgang's, Wolfgang Pucks, though, different than Wolfgang's, at the MGM Hotel, had a pre-show fight at the time. 
True Blood was like the number one show on TV. There's a great picture of me and Sookie and Bill and me and Mark Consuelos. Point being that every time I went to these fights in these cities, Tracy Bowden and Sandy Ortiz were there to see me. And it was great business for my radio station. I love boxing. And it was fun because we would go to these big venues and, and party and have a great time. So when I got to WABC in 2016, I wanted to bring HBO with me. But there was a few problems. HBO had lost all of its big fighters. And truthfully, the fight game is not the same. Really now, what's his name? Um, White, Dana White, and UFC. That's kind of taken over. You know, the big boxing days are basically over. And they were starting to go away back in 2016. And really when Mayweather went to Showtime, that really hurt. So when you combine the fact that there were fewer boxing opportunities and ABC was not a sports station, so Glenn and Chad and those guys weren't willing to do what my other stations were willing to do, the relationship basically ended with the whole boxing deal. And I went a couple of years I didn't speak to Tracy. And then uh, about a year ago, I got a text from Tracy. And she said, I love your show. I listen every day. And you know who loves your show even more than me? My mom. And my mother loves it when Naomi comes on. Loves it. I can't tell you how many fans of the show love my mother and their mothers and fathers. Love my mother. And then every time my mom would come on, I would get a text from Tracy. We're waiting. Naomi's coming on. We're sitting here. We can't wait. All these beautiful messages from Tracy. And the last message I received was April the 6th, not that long ago. And she said, Naomi's coming on. Me and my mom can't wait. And we have to go for lunch. And I said, I'd love to. And then every once in a while, life doesn't afford you the opportunity to do that. Because just three days ago, Tracy was at the hair salon with her mom and her daughter, Kelsey. Her daughter, Kelsey, was having her junior prom Saturday, day before Mother's Day. And at some point, Tracy told her mother she wasn't feeling well. She went outside for air. They called an ambulance. She went into cardiac arrest twice. And she died. 50 years old. Three kids. Connor just turned 21. Ryan, Kelsey. Beautiful parents. They love me, please. Frank and Mary. Her sister, Mary Ellen, who wrote this beautiful obituary today. Stephen, Francis, Michael, and, of course, Tracy's husband, Walter. She was 50. And she was one of the nicest people I've ever met. And she rooted for me. All those years... When everybody counted me out, Sid's done, he's finished. Trace would always say to me, I watch you. She would sit there in Vegas and want you to do these shows. She goes, I watch you. You're not done. You're coming back to New York one day. You're coming back, and you're going to be bigger than ever. I can't tell you how many times Tracy told me that in Vegas. And I would say, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. 
Where are we going next? <laughs> so I know right now that um, a lot of you folks that listen to this show also follow me on social media, on Instagram, at Rosenberg.Sydney, on Facebook, Sid Rosenberg. And you saw a picture on Friday night, an old picture, probably 10 years old, of me and Tracy in Las Vegas. And many of you didn't know who Tracy was, but you listen to me every morning and you were all too kind in your remarks and posts. Saying, God rest her soul, and I'm sorry, Sid. Which is very sweet. But I'm sorry today for Frank and Mary, and Walter, and Connor, and Ryan, and Kelsey, and her family. God has gained an angel, but we lost a good one. So to the family of Tracy Bowden listening right now and anybody over the years in sports talk radio or boxing or any of these professions who came across Tracy Bowden and loved her like I did, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sometimes when you're doing simple things around the house Maybe you'll think of me and smile You know I'm tied to you like the buttons on your blouse Keep me in your heart for a while Hold me in your thoughts Take me to your dreams Touch me as I'm falling Headed north to Pleasant Street Keep me in your heart for a while These wheels keep turning But they're running out of steam Keep me in your heart for a while Friends in the morning, 77 WABC.
One of my son's favorite songs, Neon Trees, Animal. This goes out to all the Democrats. You're animals, all of you. My mother would love that, that creature in the White House. Hey, before I get to uh, Noam, Jordan, uh, Jordan, Justin has told you a bunch this morning, got Jordan Neely in my mind, that the Celtics behind 51 from Jason Tatum beat the Sixers in seven, and now the Eastern Conference Finals are set, and the Western Conference Finals. You guys, um, how many months and months and months did I argue with Macedonia Phil that when he wants to be, when he wants to be, LeBron James is still the best player in the NBA? Had to have been at least five or six. At least five or six, right? Well, okay. yeah, you're right. But when you look, if you look at the fourth quarter stat, uh, Djokovic, <laughs> st- Djokovic still combined with the assist rating that goes on with Denver. That you have to look at those numbers. That's and pretty not, good. And not and not just what what LeBron's doing when he's injured half the time. Wow, you have actually gotten Macedonia filled down perfectly. But you know, he's like these other kids. I don't. I say. When LeBron James, look, he's got a lot going on. You know, he's got to be out there as kind of the race guy, and he's got he's got his own movie studio. He's already won championships. He just doesn't care like he used to. But when he cares, LeBron James, I said this how many times? 20? Still the best player in the NBA. Are you nuts? What about uh, the Greek freak? Listen to me carefully. 39 years old, he's still the best player. So my friend, uh, author from NJ Diet, he seems to think that he's um, he's come up with this and no one else has. So I'm going to give him a chance to say that at 940 because I like Artie. But uh, the Lakers will play the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. And the Heat, who beat the Knicks, are going to play the Boston Celtics for the right to go to the NBA Finals. But the Heat, they beat the Knicks. And you guys know that I was very down on Julius Randle. You guys even know that when the Knicks beat Cleveland, I was thrilled that Coach Thibodeau elected to sit Julius Randle in the fourth quarter because when Randle's hitting shots, he's great. And when he's not, he's a disaster. He pouts, takes more bad shots. The Knicks offense goes nowhere, holds the ball for 18 seconds. I've had enough. I know he's a two-time All-Star. I know he can score. But for me, if you don't make it in the playoffs, you're no good. And you look at the last three years – Knicks have gone to the playoffs in three different series against Atlanta two years ago. He was awful against Cleveland. He got hurt, but he wasn't good, and he sucked against Miami. So now I am making the determination that Randall cannot get it done in the big moments. And I don't care what you do during the regular season. If you don't play well in the playoffs, that means you're just you're not a money guy. Well, I'm not alone in that assessment. Turns out Stephen A. Smith, Mr. Basketball, Mr. ESPN, he agrees, and he made these comments this weekend. Lewis, Stephen A. Smith, cut number 27. Julius Randle, I am done with this man. I'm calling for the New York Knicks to trade him. You're not going to win with him. His body language, the second his shot is not falling, he's defeated, and it has contagious effect. It's like a virus that hits everybody, no pun intended, considering the times we live in it. Julius Randle is not the answer. Trade him. He needs to go because every postseason, this is what he does, and that's the way that it is. 14 field goals by Jalen Brunson. The entire rest of the Knicks, all other eight players who played, 13 field goals. An absolutely pathetic offensive performance 
and the New York Knicks season is over, Julius Randle is not the answer. Trade for Damian Lillard or call Anthony Towns. I love it. Trade for Damian Lillard or call Anthony Towns. <laughs> with, I would do that in a heartbeat. With what, though? What is it? Does he have a proposed no, trade? No, no. You could trade Randle. Who's going to want him You now? can trade RJ. He's still a two-time All-Star. All right. He averaged 26 points a game this year. You're supposed to trade valuable pieces to get value. Well, he's, he's got like. value. Okay, two All-Star yeah. games in three years, 26 points per game. I don't like him, but he's got a lot of value. And look, I still think RJ Barrett, they would consider trading him. I wouldn't. He's the only guy that could create a shot, take the ball to the basket. He's a slasher. I like him. But he's out there. they got a lot of guys. Now, R.J. Barrett is a different consideration <laughs> altogether. Now, if you want to trade him, right. I would say the fate of the free world would be at stake. And I don't want any <laughs> is differing that right? opinions about that. The fate of the free world. I okay. have said that once before, Sid yes. Rosenberg. You know I've said that. I know. That. Yes, yes, you, you know have. I've said Thank that. you, Stephen. I've said that yes. on and, and well, numerous occasions. Yes. Numerous. <laughs> Two more quotes. Then we'll get to our Gnomes Nuggets. We've got a couple of really good guests coming by, three in a row, Charlie Gasparino, Laura Curran, and Arthur Idala. But I do want to get to um, my friend Tom Kniff. He's the attorney for Daniel Penny. Tom's going to join us either today or tomorrow. He is uh, doing his summation today. He's in court today summing up his case for his client, once again, uh, Daniel Penny, who from day one, my wife got mad at me because she's smart, she's an attorney, and she's, she looks out for me. I appreciate it. But I'm not going back on it. I called Daniel Penny a hero from day one. I still feel that way. And there is no way in a million years that this man should have been charged. But I still believe he's going to be innocent. In fact, I'm sure of that, but not more sure than his attorney, Tom Kniff. This is cut number seven, Lewis. Yeah, there is very little doubt in my mind that when everything is fleshed out and comes to light, that, you know, uh, my client, Daniel Penny, will be absolved of any uh, any wrongdoing here. Um, you know, he didn't enter the subway seeking to you know, harm anyone. He didn't enter the subway seeking to attack anyone. He was really putting himself in harm's way for the benefit of others. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he shouldn't be you know, pilloried for that. He should be celebrated. Which Lowry said the same thing. But we started today's show with Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. First of all, I like that song. And uh, secondly, because it turns out that was Jordan Neely's favorite song. And I've seen New York One out of the corner of my eye about three times this morning. And when they show Daniel Penny, they show him being escorted out of a police precinct in handcuffs. And when they show Jordan Neely, they got a cute-looking young guy doing the moonwalk. Folks, that was ten years ago. He wasn't so cute anymore. He wasn't doing the moonwalk anymore. He compiled 40 arrests, punched an innocent woman, 67 years old, across the face, and was a menace, a menace. But his attorneys, these two clowns, Dante Mills and Lennon Edwards, they're out there, of course, trying to make you believe that this is the same kid singing Michael Jackson songs. The same kid which, by the way, way back when, did deserve your sympathy. No 14-year-old boy should see his mother being murdered and placed in a plastic bag. There's no question about that. And the city let him down. All that's true. But what's also true is he became a menace. And what Daniel Penny did, if more New Yorkers did that, maybe 27 people wouldn't have died in the last three years on the subway. Weapon or not, maybe 27 people wouldn't have died in the last three years on the subway. 
So I guess I'll play a one cut from Dante Mills. Well, he comes out with Al Sharpton and says, Jordan Neely was loved. That would be cut number 12. No, no, cut number 11. He was loved. He was loved. He had family that loved him, that supported him. Uh, he had people in his life that was there for him and provided a safe space. Really? But unfortunately, and a lot because of that incident stemming from his mother's death, mm. he had demons. And we all know people who are on the brink of going through something major, a catastrophe, where they just can't seem to get everything back together, and that's where he was. But he had a life that he was living he did. and was reaching for. Oh. Throughout his life, he was determined to make other people happy, I mean, and that's what he did. That's why he sung. He was wrong. He was actually that's labeled was- as one of the 50 most dangerous, 50 most dangerous and wanted Folks in this city, a life of making people happy. He was loved. He lived on the subway, ate out of a trash can, and literally made people's lives miserable on a daily basis. He was loved. Why? Because his father says, I love him since he was since he's dead? Because his father sees a payday? Or the rest of his family, all of a sudden, they see a payday? That's love? You know who I love? Noam Laden. Know me. Yeah. What's going on on this Monday morning, my friend? So do you, well, of course you remember this. During the pandemic, we were quick to spread around tips to everybody, right? Especially customer service people, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now it has gotten just so completely out of hand. So I'm with the kids on Friday, and I hit my boiling point with people asking for tips. We're in a famous ice cream store. It's one of those ones that has, you can serve yourself with uh, self-serve ice cream. There's like eight handles on one side, eight handles on the other. You know which place I'm talking about? No, I don't. Okay, well, maybe it'll come to you later. <laughs> yeah. so, I would know if Justin wasn't talking in my ear about Charlie Gasparino, who's uh, called oh, in seven minutes early. Uh, I don't know. You were asking me a uh, question. Be quiet while the guy is talking. The answer in one know. word answers when okay. somebody is talking, obviously. Right. I'll, just, I'll just stare at you next time. <laughs> God. Yeah, stare at me and figure out where we are so, in this conversation. So I, I go, and it's one of these places where you serve yourself, right? So I... Uh, you know, put myself a nice size helping of ice cream. Yeah. I go to that little bar where you sprinkle everything all over your ice cream. Got the Rice Krispies. 16 candles? Might be that place. Hi. I put the gummy bears on. I put the whipped cream. I put the hot fudge. And then I get to the front. Yeah. And uh, my kids come up with their ice cream. And, uh, you know, they have one of these terminals, you know, like a tablet. I put my credit card in to pay for the ice cream. And it asks me if I want to pay 15%, 18%. Or 20% tip right. for the ice cream that I serve myself. Exactly. Nobody touched my cup. Nobody put the, uh, they the did uh, toppings. They, they did, did nothing. absolutely well, nothing. Well, every place, you, now, now I go to places where they make me uh, protein shakes. Well, they actually make the shake. Yeah. But there's no dining. No, no. one's sitting down. No one's bringing. It's not worthy of a 20% tip. But they, they make you feel badly. It's guilt. It's the guy in the bathroom. Same thing. I don't want to pay to take a piss. It's tipping emotional blackmail. That's what I call it. And, uh, this, and of course, there's people behind me, so then you feel like, I don't want to be the jerk, doesn't give her anything. But at the same time, she hadn't done anything. So uh, Rachel Wolf, who works with the uh, Wall Street Journal, she's noticed this trend as well, where you get hip for a tip no matter where you go now. So tipping researchers say that people are much more likely to say yes than to say no when prompted with a tip when you're thinking about the people who are stocking the shelves, even if you're not actually seeing an employee. 
Yeah. So a lot of times you don't even see the worker and they're asking you for a tip. But my question was, and I almost asked this woman at the ice cream store, was does this money actually go to the workers? Because I'm putting it on some sort of terminal that's paying the price for the product. But do the people behind the counter actually get the money? She said, that's a good question. The companies I spoke to said that the tips (laughs) are going to employees, but tipping researchers aren't so sure. Hmm. Machines don't have the same protections as tipped human employees. So while the law requires that something called a tip has to go to employees, when you're tipping a machine, you can't be quite so sure. Yeah, so they're not even sure that after you do tip for like every possible service known to man now, that terminal tips or turns around and they ask you for a tip for places that they never asked you for a tip before. So now I'm paying these people. Instead of you paying your person to right. work behind the counter, Makes I'm no paying sense. them. And they still don't get the tips, some of these people. A lot of times they don't. Right. It's kind of like um, the Ukraine. Who knows where that money goes to? <laughs> Similar to that. Just <laughs> yeah. what Norm was going to say. I was. I was going to tie it all together that way. <laughs> By saying, you know what, it's exactly yeah. like the Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it is. A, you know, every now and then we order food in and, uh, like, Grubhub will drop it off or uh, one of these people, you know. And I asked Danielle every time, did we tip him? And, of course, she does. Right. Every single time. Do you know that more than often if I answer the door, I still ask the guy, hey, you getting that money? And he's like, oh, yeah. Uh, he doesn't even know. Doesn't even know. Yeah. Doesn't even know. It's really horrible. Well, how are we going to fix it? What are we going to do? There's nothing we can do. Yeah, it's gotta... emotional blackmail. That's when It they really turn, is. When they turn that terminal around and there's people behind you yeah. waiting in line, you don't want to be the guy who hits no tip. Oh, you can't be that guy. people watching you. Right. And especially if it's me, I'm famous. They'll be like, oh, my God, that cheapskate Sid Rosenberg, there he goes again. <laughs> yeah. You, they wouldn't know. wouldn't matter. No, He's talking right. about himself and not tipping. You think when, uh, <laughs> when you look at all the issues we've got in uh, the city and the state, the country today, when does this one fall in... Um, I think it's top of of the list. (laughs) Top three? I think you're right. All right. Great job, as always. Gnomes Nuggets, Danielle's favorite segment of the morning. Great job, buddy. We've got uh, a trio of great guests in a row coming up. Charlie Gasparino, Laura Curran, and Arthur Idala. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Emotional rescue. Danielle just took the car to the car wash, and the girl sitting at the cash register had a tip jar. Of course. She's sitting at the cash register. She's not wiping down the car with towels or to what no one was pointing. It happens everywhere. Monica Crowley checks in. She'll be on tomorrow at 840. So she cool now. Talking about Monica, this man's kind of in the same business. I love this guy, Fox News. Comes on a lot now. May end up in the next New York Post, Sid Rosenberg ad. His new column is in the New York Post, kid mess of Joe Biden's making at border. And, of course, Title 42 ended Thursday. All your liberal networks are telling us today that the numbers are down 
since Title 42 ended. Here he is, the very smart Charlie Gasparino. Charlie, good Monday morning, buddy. How are you? Great. You know, I just want to just change gears for a second. I'm reading the New York Times, and this is a fascinating story about why some companies are saying diversity and belonging instead of diversity and inclusion. And what's happening is all these companies that indoctrinated people following the George Floyd riots uh, that, you know, we have to all think the same way, that, you know, white people are bad. This is what they're waking up to, including this one company featured by the Times. That And they, they got this from a consultant that they hired. This Foster, that's the consultant, said companies must address racism, sexism, homophobia, and anti-Semitism in the workplace. Place. But she believes that in overemphasis on identity groups, and a tendency to reduce people to victim or villain can strip agency from and alienate everyone. Duh. It <laughs> 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 took how many years to figure out that that, that that woke propaganda, indoctrination, think the uh, camps that they forced everybody in was going to divide people rather than... I know, really. And it's, and it's just getting worse. I mean, my kid... White boy went to a school, and his friends were black. They turned on him. I'm not going to get too much more detail than that. And even this story with this this hero, Daniel Penny, who had no idea that Jordan Neely's mother was killed when he was 14. All he saw was some crazy person who kept saying, mind you, I'm going to go to jail today. I'm going to kill all of you. I don't care. Throwing garbage at people sitting on the train, yelling and screaming. I mean, this guy's a hero, but because he was white and Jordan Penny was black, I got to hear Eric Adams and Al Sharpton and all your favorite African-American people crying over this kid. AOC. Think about AOC. Sandy Cortez. Okay. I'm telling you, we both, we've had similar trajectories in growing up. Uh, We both went different ways. And I'll I'll tell you where we diverged. We both lived in the Bronx as kids. We both went to, and, and our parents took us out of the Bronx, the crummy neighborhoods we were in. And moved us to Yorktown Heights, which is not Garsdale, trust me, but it's it's not the Bronx. My father worked three jobs to, to afford the, the crappy little house we had uh, near a UPS plant and down the block from Section 8 housing. He lived in a very nice place. And uh, by the way, her father was, a, was an architect. My old man, was, as I said, was a uh, bartender and a uh, construction worker. I become a free market libertarian. She becomes a leftist. She should not be attacking Daniel Perry, giving that background. Uh, she has no idea what it's like to ride the subways every day, okay? She is one of the biggest posers in the world, and uh, and I can't believe she gets as much – people get, give her as much oxygen as she, she gets. And she gets a lot. I mean, Charlie, I, I don't want to get too carried away, but first of all, you're right. She should not be talking about Daniel Penny, nor should anyone who doesn't ride the subways regularly like I do or like you do. But, uh, you know, I don't want to minimize who she is. She's just not some attractive girl who beat Joe Crowley. Not my type, mind you, to quote Donald Trump. But uh, right. certainly considered attractive when you look at people like the older Pelosi's and the Feinsteins. And maybe that's part of the reason why she's had success. But she's got a very big voice in that party, a much bigger voice than people realize. I know. It's, it's, a, it's frightening because she's really that dumb. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I, I don't care what anybody, call me whatever, she is not. Uh, a, 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 a smart, responsible human being. Yeah, but it's not just dumb. I mean, it's, but it's not just dumb. I mean, you know, she's no, in New York. It is dumb. Right, but she's surrounding herself. I mean, two of her best friends 
or Elon Omar and Rashida Tlaib. I mean, you you know, Eric Adams, for example, called Ed Day an anti-Semite a couple of days ago. Mind you, there are more Jews in Rockland County than most counties in New York, and they voted for this guy oh, and yeah. love him. Right. Oh, yeah. But you talk about anti She surrounds herself with two of the biggest Israel haters in the history of this country, in New York. Of course. Of course. By the way, why is he anti-Semitic if he doesn't want migrants? Is that a little bit of a mixed, mixed metaphor thing? No, I don't get it either. Did he get his nationalities mixed up? I, I don't know. You're either a racist or you're something. <laughs> if you don't want migrants, you know, you're something. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it right now. I don't want migrants in my community. I don't want them. Right. Okay? Not because I'm a bad guy. Not because I don't feel bad. But we don't have the money. We don't have the means. This country is falling apart. Who the hell are we, Charlie Gasparino? Who the hell are we to be helping the, the world? Way, and here's how nefarious it really is. So I'm watching last week, two weeks ago, or last Sunday, not this, not yesterday, the Sunday before, 60 Minutes, and they do this blowout about Chinese, child labor. They make it sound like it's you know Dickens, Dickens and Oliver Twist all over again because um, a company's this company that operates in, mainly in the Midwest hires has has been caught hiring children under 18 to work at really really difficult jobs cleaning up meat processing places apparently the job of spraying down the equipment with you know with boiling water obviously it's it's, it's not meant for kids right Oof. uh but the kids came in and they they were hired this one company is called pssi it's owned by blackstone which is the big private equity firm the portfolio company of blackstone they hired kids and they made it sound like they hired them at like you know pennies on a dollar, and they just hired them to get cheap foreign labor and kids and all this stuff. Well, let me stop but, but with that. How could they hire these kids if these kids didn't have ID? Well, that's where I, they, they barely mentioned this, and they barely mentioned the fact that these kids were here illegally. Actually, they didn't mention that they were here illegally. They didn't mention that the parents wanted them to work because, you know, listen, I grew up with immigrants, right, Italian immigrants. My friends who were from Italy, they were they were working here when they were 16. They were they were doing, you know, everything from construction to waiter jobs. I worked in, in restaurants when I was 16. I, I'm just saying that that is the, the culture. Um, and here's what the what, – what, in beating up Blackstone, which, listen, they deserve to get dinged a little bit. They, 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 this fell through the cracks. They left out the most important thing. People are here illegally. The E-Verify system, they're supposed to say who you are, is a joke. All you do, the cartels sell these illegal immigrants. The cartels sell them fake IDs, dead and living people, which you can apparently get and you know get Social Security numbers very easy. Once that happens, you're in the system. E-Verify lets you work. And, you know, these, and then the companies themselves – can't do perform something known as over documentation. It's a it's in the federal uh, federal employment law because that's considered a a form of discrimination. So leaving out all this, we're supposed to be, believe Blackstone is this evil robber baron when really the system that 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 Joe Biden is now proclaiming works is failing miserably every single day. And here's something else. If you really want to get your blood boiling here in New York or Midtown Manhattan, Eric Adams this is what I, I don't understand. Eric Adams is, 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 you know, sometimes he says the right thing, but he's really like all talk, no action. 
Eric Adams is saying he wants everybody back in the office five days a week because he, he needs to spur the economy, and, and particularly the Wall Street crowd. And by the way, this is not just bankers with the Wall Street crowd. These are secretaries, assistants. You know, These are working-class people that work in banks too and big investment houses. He wants them all back in the city. A lot of them work in midtown Manhattan. So lo and behold, as an incentive to do that, he's turning the iconic Roosevelt Hotel into essentially a homeless shelter. It's going to be a migrant, a migrant center. Uh, can you believe this? We're going to hit right in the middle of the most busy, most lucrative, the place where you want people to spend money. Because, by the way, in those all those expensive shops and restaurants employ a lot of working class people. So you want people to actually take their bonus money and spend it there. In the middle of there, he's going to put a migrant shelter in the iconic Roosevelt Hotel, oh. which is owned by the Pakistani government, so he's leasing it from them. Yeah. I mean, it's it's nuts. Unbelievable. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the critics of uh, Mayor Eric Adams, and like you said, I, I'm friendly with the guy. I like some of the things he says. I like a lot of the things he says. A lot of it doesn't come to fruition. But then you get this prick Andrew Cuomo, this former governor, who's on the air with my dear friend John Katsimatidis yesterday, saying, I'm happy. I'm happy New York is a sanctuary city. Does he not understand that's part of the reason why we've got all these issues? You can't be a sanctuary city and then bitch about the migrants, right? You can't have them both. Yeah, um, I, I just want to say I like Andrew, um, and you don't, but that's that's okay. You know, the world is that's how you make a market, right? Diverging opinions. Um, did he really say I like? New York being a sanctuary city. Oh, please. If I gave you all the things Andrew Cuomo said, I, w- I want you to come back in two weeks and, and say again, I like Andrew. Let's see if that happens. <laughs> well, personally, I think he's all right. Yeah. Well, yeah, but a lot of guys personally are. Listen, I, the, the reason why I'm friendly with Eric is I would sit down with the mayor and have dinner. I love him. You know, the guy, right. the, you know, he has dyslexia. My son has dyspraxia. He's a, he's a funny guy. He's warm. There's nothing not to right. like. But unfortunately, these guys have positions that millions of us rely on, and whether it's Cuomo, really bad, or Adams, at times bad, you start to find out as much as you like them at dinner, they're screwing over a lot of people. Well, you know, the problem is they can't break out. There's a dogma on the Repu- on the Democratic side. You know, people talk about the Republicans, uh, you know, Trump, and, you know, you have to, you know, they, they think we're just, you know, like people just follow one one master and have no divergent opinions. The, the Republican Party, and conservatism in general, is one big hot mess of people yelling at each other. Uh, it, it is much more freedom of thought, okay, much more you can diverge. There's anti-Trumpers, there's pro-Trumpers, there's people like DeSantis. It's all over the place. The Democratic Party really is a dogma, and it's a dogma on certain things. They embrace illegal immigration. Don't ask me why, because it's actually hurting working-class people. But well, I know why. Crazy. No, I'll tell you why, because these illegal immigrants come across the border wearing Joe Biden T-shirts. We allow right. them to vote, and guess what? Oh, the Democrats do very well when illegal immigrants come here because the Democrats make it easy. It's all about the vote. Right. Although that's starting to change because you can see, um, you know, second, even first-generation Hispanics that are, that are in this country legally – they're starting to vote more and more Republican. So, I mean, I think that's kind of biting them in the rear end right now. I mean, Florida, for example, is a reason why, you know, conservative people see through that. And, yep. you know, but but they do they do it. So there's that part of the dogma. The other dogma is, is homelessness. They refuse to enforce simple mental health laws. Um, if you I, I know people that have gone to big red or blue states like California and say, hey, I got a plan on how to uh, how to fix homelessness. Here's here's how we do it. Part of it, in, it involves um, coerced, uh, forced um, 
you have to go to a, a mental you, – you have to put yourself into a place, check yourself in if you're homeless, and you have to take medication, certain medications, get yourself off the streets. And because of the ACLU, no Democrat will embrace it. No, that. they don't we do have, it. No. We, have, we have people we, – we have people like Daniel Perry, Penny, going out there defending strap hangers from lunatic homeless people. That's, that's right. What, that's what this is devolved into. No, it's true. And that's why uh, my friend Scott Baio was on Friday, him, Katie Perry. Katie right. Perry's a liberal, by the way. Scott's a conservative, but Katie's a liberal. Brad Pitt's a liberal. And they all left Los Angeles in the last couple of weeks. Oh, I got Los Angeles is disgusting. I mean, I, gross. I, I love the place. I love the food. I love the people. But they, they turn it into a hell Charlie, I, I came back. I went to an event in San Francisco 15 years ago. I told my wife, Danielle, oh, I go, God. the only other place I live in America is San Francisco. You can't go there. Dave Chappelle was killing it last weekend. Killing it. I heard. I yeah. heard. Terrible. <laughs> now, listen, you're all great. <laughs> I know. You're great. Thank you for doing this. Keep coming back. You've been coming back often lately. I like that. You're great. So thank you for another great appearance. All you have to do is make a call. That's all you have to do. I know. Thank you, Charlie. Okay, you got it, sir. That's my man right there, Charlie Gasparino. Always does a terrific job here on the Sid Rosenberg Show. That wraps up hour number three. A lot more to do, hour four, including Laura Curran. Her thoughts on what's going on in this city. And then we dig deep into the law with Arthur Idala. That's coming up at 925, fourth and final hour of your favorite talk show, New York City. That's me, right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's coming at you. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Etheridge, Jed David Crosby's baby, you know. David died last year. This is uh, one of many of her great songs. Come to my window is another great Melissa Etheridge song. This is uh, 912 on your Monday morning, fourth and final hour of your favorite talk show. That's me. Laura Curran is on 4 to 5 every Sunday, Cut to the Chase. It's a great show. Her podcast, same name, Cut to the Chase. 
also great. And uh, Laura told Jason Barrett and Barrett Media last month that uh, Sid Rosenberg makes radio easy, and uh, she now has a lifetime membership to the Sid Rosenberg Fan Club. In fact, in today's New York Post ad, Sid and Friends in the Morning, 18 color pictures, everybody from Donald Trump, John Katsimatidis, Mayor Adams, to Curtis Sliwa, Laura Curran is one of those 18. So here she is, my friend Laura, former Nassau County Executive. Laura, good morning. How are you? Good morning, and I love how it's me and Donald bookending the whole crew, the whole morning lineup. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Yes, you're really rep- fitting about that. Your Republican conservative president and your liberal. Although, listen, the one thing about you, and it's the reason why I like you, is John Katsimatidis, he knows I'm going to break his chops here. He's always talking about common sense Democrats. They don't exist. They just don't. Maybe there's three or four. I don't know. But every time I think there's a common sense Democrat, they do or say something which says to me, there's no common sense. None. You are a common sense Democrat. Now you got screwed. We've been over this a million times, a million times, by Todd Kaminsky. And I like Bruce Blakeman. And I think Bruce is doing a terrific job. But I know you'd still be a great politician because you are maybe the only common sense Democrat. Wow. Well, let's see if I can preserve that status. You know, I like to look at things from an operational point of view, from a practical point of view, and I really try to avoid the politics as much as possible. I know you have to do some politics as part of it, but if you show people that you can run things, they will think, okay, this person, I may not agree with them on everything, but at least I feel like someone's running the shop here. That's fair. So then give me your thoughts on Neely Penny. And if you think Penny's a yeah. bad guy and should be in jail, you can say it. I don't, obviously. You know how I feel. But give me your thoughts on, on this case, which is, to a certain extent, not, not George Floyd, I get it, but has the potential to turn this city upside down. So I think there's three main things here. First is, as someone who rides the subway fairly regularly, I, like you do, um, I wasn't surprised that something like this happened. It was more of a question of when, not if. And I do sense an increased police presence on the subway. I think that's great. Uh, But sometimes when you're in the subway, it feels a little bit like the night of the living dead. People who are not being cared for, who can't take care of themselves, um, most of them are not threatening, but sometimes they are. And I think if you ride the subway, you're sometimes in that kind of fight or flight mindset. It's like a heightened uh, awareness of what's going on. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, we still don't know exactly what happened. This happened, what, it was a couple of weeks now, but we don't have any more, really, the public doesn't have any more information now about what led up to it than we did then. Uh, and then the third thing is, okay, so you have this heightened atmosphere, we don't really know what happened, and then we have the Rorschach test. You put this out there in the media, you put it in the press, you know, people see the video, without the context, and so people will impose what they want on it. So I have to say, I think Mayor Adams, and I know that you're, you know, you kind of like him, but you have ambivalence. I think on this, he's been really good. Oh, he was. He, he was until this weekend. Until this weekend, he was great. He was the only one. I mean, Hochul was terrible. You know, when he comes out this weekend and says, this can't keep happening to black and brown people, don't do that. This has nothing to do with black or brown. I, I understand. That's what we do in this city, and Adams does it all the time, right? Ed uh, Day, racist, habit racist. It feels like with, with Adams, he'll say something, and it's like, yes, he's speaking. He's saying the sensible thing. Then I think he gets the pressure, 
and then feels like he has to say something to calm down the people yeah, who but are I don't, pressuring right, him. Right, but that's exactly what happens. That's what Alvin Bragg does. That's no good. Alvin Bragg didn't want to indict Donald Trump. He felt the pressure. Alvin Bragg probably didn't want to arrest this guy. He felt the pressure. If you're a leader like Donald Trump, you don't give a rat's ass about pressure. You do what you feel is right. And for a week, Eric Adams, to your point, Laura, was saying all the right things, and then he caved, and once again, he's making it a white-black issue because you know that if Daniel Penny was black and Jordan Neely was white, we'd be having a ticket tape parade. Well, there's the other aspect with all of these people, and, and by the way, there's no winners here. This is just a terrible thing for everybody. But I would love to know where all of these people who are outraged by this death were when how many scores of other people have died in the subway? What is it? I, I forgot the statistic, but it's like 20 27, within the not too, 27 yeah. dead since 2020. And oh, not all those people, go. not all those people shot or stabbed, just thrown by crazy people in front of moving trains. Yeah, that's right. And so, again, that leads to point number one, this heightened sense of anxiety and fight or flight. Here you have someone who was a Marine who is, you know, clearly trained in dealing with a situation like this, you know, who know what instinct kicked in in him, we don't know. So what Mayor Adams said before he started with this pandering thing over the weekend, which maybe is what it is, I don't know, I'm not a mind reader, but it's like, okay, sometimes saying the sensible thing takes a lot of political courage. Like the sensible fact of it is, we don't know what happened. Let's follow the facts. Let's let's do the investigation and see what happened. Uh What's interesting also is this outpouring of support for Daniel Penny. I mean, I think from last I checked, they raised $2 million to help yeah. with his defense. Yeah. And that tells you what people are thinking, what real people are thinking, right. not, the, not the activist class. Well said. Trying to tell Democrats what to think and how, what to say. Well said. Uh, Jimmy Breslin, maybe the greatest yeah. writer ever in New York. His son, Kevin, loves me and loves this show, listens every day. He goes, I'm a common-sense Democrat who agrees with a lot of what you say. Many of your listeners do. That comes from Kevin Bresley's, uh, Breslin, Jimmy's son. Uh, I want to get back uh, to something else here, too. Again, you were the Nassau County Executive. Laura Curran cut to the chase four to five every Sunday. She really is terrific. You were the Nassau County Executive for many years. You call Nassau mm-hmm. County home. And it looks like they have finally come calling an indictment with 13 charges unsealed last week for George Santos. I know that made you yeah. happy. Well, you know, that's an interesting one. Will he leave? That's the thing. Uh, I don't think he's going to clearly not going to leave on his own. Uh, will Kevin McCarthy put pressure on him to leave? Because it's funny, I was talking to Andrew Giuliani yesterday. Uh, his show comes on right before mine. And Andrew had a good point. Wouldn't Andrew Mac- uh, Andrew, Kevin McCarthy want to get rid of Santos to help the other Dem- uh, Republicans who won congressional seats in blue districts? They're going to have really tough races, D'Esposito, Lawler, Lalota, all those guys, Alota. They're going to have tough races next year. So why not just rip the Band-Aid off, get rid of the Santos guy because he's such a liability? Now, you know the Democrats are going to have great big signs and billboards and, like, you do the party of Santos. If you vote for D'Esposito, you're voting for a Santos enabler, no matter how much D'Esposito goes against Santos. That doesn't matter. This is, this is great for Democrats if he stays, honestly. However, there's one guy who I think if there is a special election would blow away any Republican, and that's your former friend, Tom Swazi. I said that last week, and I got up. pushback. Yeah, I said that last week, and I got pushback. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I do oh, think no, he, he would. He would mop he would. the floor. He's, he's very popular in the district. People really like him. 
I agree. And I think he would mop the floor. And it was unfortunate that he called the remark he made with me and Bernie, which was a thousand percent right. He was giving credit to Ron DeSantis' parental lockdown in Florida and talking about feeling the pressure, Laurie. Here we go again. Alvin Bragg, Eric yeah, Adams. And listen, listen to me. He's He was in a primary. He had progressives coming after him. You know, he is a common sense Democrat, but he's got these people coming after him. So he's got in a primary. It's just realistic. You have to temper what you say to get through the primary, which is why these primaries are such a pain, uh, because a very small proportion of voters vote. So you're only going to have the very liberal Democrats, by and large, voting in a primary in a congressional race. How about a little so, profile? But how about a little profile of courage? Just once. I know he's in the primary. He's got donors. He's got money. Progressive called him up that day. Inartful three days later. How about once some politician show a little profile of courage and just stick with what they said, which was right, rather than cave into the mob? Well, I can't disagree with you on that. I think I think political courage is at a bit of a minimum right now, which is why we have such a lack of leadership on the border. And you have local officials forced to fight with each other in a sort of Lord of the Fly scenario. You have governors fighting with mayors, fighting with county execs. It shouldn't be like that. It's like the parents have not showed up because they're afraid to talk about it. And you have buck passing and blaming at the highest levels. And it just trickles down to such dysfunction. 60 seconds to go, Laura Curran, so great, cut to the chase, four to five Sundays. You were telling me a couple of days ago when I booked you on Friday that you're about to do your podcast with a gentleman who spent some time on MSNBC, and you were going to talk about specifically Donald Trump's legal battles. Last week you found out E. Jean Carroll, of course, that ridiculous verdict. But uh, you were talking specifically about that. What transpired during that podcast? So is this this is oh that was a really interesting one with Andrew Weissman. So he's an MSNBC analyst and he's also a former federal prosecutor, big prosecutor at Department of Justice. And I said, okay, there's so much incoming information about Trump's legal problems. What are the priorities? What are the, what's the highest stake? One, it was the Georgia case because if he goes to jail for that, if there's a really serious consequence. He cannot be pardoned. No chance. Because it's a, it's a state case, not a federal case. I understand. So that no might chance. not be the highest. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, no chance. So it, yeah. it, was, it was a great way to help one consume all of this, this barrage of news. Yeah, it's a barrage of news. Well, thank you for joining me today. You're a TV star now. I know you go on Fox News. You go on Newsmax. You got a show at WABC. Why would you ever go back to politics? You're a star. Oh, you're so sweet. You know just what to say to a girl, Sid. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. You really are blowing up. But I'm happy for you because I really find you to be really, really good, smart, entertaining, common sense. So thank you for joining me today. We'll be listening on Sunday. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sid. Talk to you later. You got it. Laura Curran, former Nassau County executive. And, of course, her podcast here at the Red Apple Podcast is Cut to the Chase. That's the same name as her radio show. Four to five every Sunday afternoon, cut to the chase. All right, we'll take a short break. When we get back, we'll talk more about this Neely case, Trump cases, all of them, with one of the great defense attorneys in the country today on his way to Italy to watch Bruce Springsteen in concert in Rome at the end of the week. My good buddy, Audie Idol, is coming up next. Seventy-seven WABC. 
This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. But you say he's just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Boy. For you, love Boz Gags. Artie Idala, right there with Takapina, famous defense attorney in the country today. He's been joining us quite a bit lately, but he's going to be gone for a while now because he's on his way to Italia tomorrow to see my man Bruce Springsteen in concert. And I guess, I guess you're doing other stuff, right? Not just seeing Bruce. Are you working, or what are you doing there? Yeah, I'm, doing, uh, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit in Milan. I got a quick little business thing to do but you know sit every once in a while you've got to just like enjoy life right i mean what the hell are we killing ourselves uh, i agree i agree i'm you not know, a, and, and, and to your point i'm not doing nearly enough of that in the last couple of years especially since bernie got sick and, I, and i'm going to start to do that because god knows i'm 56 i don't feel as good as i used to so i like what you said and i agree at some point not when you're old and really can't enjoy it you have to start to take take some time off and enjoy life you have to yeah and that you know the the sand to the hourglass you know, we're six months apart. You know, it's starting to drop on through, and you know, you can't bend down as well, and nope. you can't jump up as well, and and so yeah, I'm gonna have a little bit of fun. We're gonna go to Florence. We're gonna go to Rome. It's uh, I'm going with six of my buddies, and then two more meet me. There's gonna be eight of us in Rome. It's it should be memorable. It wow. should be memorable. Awesome. I'm actually out right now. I'm about to go to court out in Southampton for. Uh, a woman who had a fight with her uh, cleaning lady and a cell phone was broken. And, the, you know, the thing is, when we were kids and the cell phones were like 100 200 bucks. now you break someone's cell phone, it's a $1,300 yeah. thing. It's, it's, a, it's a felony. Yeah. Yeah. Once it's over $1,000, yeah. it's a felony. It becomes like a serious yeah. thing. So yeah. I'm here, and then uh, I'm back in the office a little later. Tomorrow, uh, 7 o'clock at night, I'm uh, wheels up. So I'm you, and you're going to see uh, Joseph, right? Joe Takapina there, right? I, he's there. He was at uh, his soccer game on Saturday, and uh, I, I'm going to see him Thursday. And God willing, with walking around town with the owner of the local soccer team, will uh, at least get me a free coffee or get me in somewhere. <laughs> well, so we'll uh, have a good time. I know the soccer team uh, suffered a bad loss on Saturday, which I'm sure Tack is not happy about. But, you know, he's in London, too, uh, his first grandchild. He saw little Theo and going to see Springsteen with you in Italy, so the loss of the soccer team, I guess, will be able to uh, get through that. Absorb it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, But you've been to Italy a million times, no? Yes. Like, like, like not a million times, but over a hundred times. I've been very lucky, Sid. You know, when we were kids and everyone was playing stickball in the street and things like that, my dad had me sitting on Saturdays with a tutor teaching me Italian, and at the time I was really pissed about it. And now, boy, I mean, I hug him wow. and kiss him and thank him all awesome. the time that I know how to yeah. speak Italian. And yeah. you know, like, it's a different feeling, even though now so many people speak English. But being able to, like, converse in the language over there is 
is very special. It's oh, that's awesome. Place. It's the best place to go on vacation is Italy. I mean, right. You eat and drink, and the people are wonderful. The sights are so historic, so I'm, I'm fired up. We've only been there once. My buddy owned a beautiful villa in Etri, which is a small town about 40 miles north of Rome. But we did Rome. We did Capri. We really love Capri. And it is a lovely, lovely country. But people used to say to me, have you been to Italy? And I said, yes, Bay Ridge. <laughs> but times have changed. But when I went to Poly, Italy was Bay Ridge. No? Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, that's, it's different now. You know, Bay Ridge is, is a lot more mixed than it used to be. Yeah. But, I, you know, I love it. And people think I'm a nut because, as you know, I'm always bouncing around Manhattan. And people say to you, you know, where do you live? I go 86th Street. They go Upper East or Upper West. <laughs> colonial, between Colonial Road and Narrow. Right, right. That they was... look at me all confused because yeah. I, love, I, I love our neighborhood. Um, but, you know, I ride the subways coming, coming into the city from our neighborhood. And, you know, what happened two weeks ago is headline news all over the country. All over the country. I know. It's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. And you and I have had a lot of discussions off the air, on the air. Uh, I know I spoke to you after I was on live with Catch Batides on Friday. I spoke to you when Kniff reached out to me first, mind you, on Friday afternoon. So today is his summation. He's going to join me probably tomorrow, maybe Wednesday, probably tomorrow. Uh, what have you seen the last couple of days? What have you heard? He really, really believes in his heart of hearts. He really does that uh, his client, Mr. Penny, is going to get off and uh, be absolved here. What are you hearing? I, I think I think of well, he's got to go. Here's a hard decision. When you go into the grand jury, so they're going to put this case into the grand jury. Right now, he's only been arrested on a complaint, which you know that that does not entitle the DA's office to have a felony charge. Grand jurors have to vote a felony charge. And the the, the big question that that Kniff and Reiser have going to have to ask themselves is, you know, do we put this guy into the grand jury? And the reason why I, I think they should, number one, is because you know a lot of these grand jurors are subway riders, and you know a lot of these grand jurors have been confronted with people who just scare the daylights out of you. I mean, it's scary. You're in these subways. You know, you got a young man screaming and yelling about how, you know, I'm ready to spend my life in prison. I mean, that's crazy stuff. So I think there'll, there'll be some sympathy there. I also know that, uh, and everyone knows, they initially brought Penny in for questioning and i my understanding is he probably spoke to the detectives and that statement will be admissible in the grand jury so if you're gonna have a detective read his statement why not put the guy in there if he you know if he's someone who can be controlled i mean you know we've been talking about donald trump a lot lately and why didn't he testify at the trial because he's a guy you can't control (laughs) you you know he's not gonna listen to you you know y'all say what i'm gonna say i became president of the united states you're gonna tell me what to say so, you know, but Penny probably, as a Marine, if he's a true Marine, which I'm sure he is, is going to be a disciplined guy. And he's a, probably a smart guy to listen to his lawyers. And they'll put him in the grand jury. And then let's see if, if he even gets actually charged. You know, there's 23 grand jurors, 12 of them, 16 of them have to hear all of the evidence. And then of, of the, whoever's heard all of the evidence, at least 12 have to vote to indict. And they may not get 12. And I got the news for you. I, I know for a fact that there are prosecutors, senior prosecutors in the DA's office who would be thrilled if the grand jury does not indict this guy. Okay. Uh, one of our mutual friends, I love this girl very much. They have to put them on the grand jury. They must put him in. Uh, she seems to think they must put him in. I don't know why, Danielle, but she does. Uh, do you, I mean- <laughs> well, because, because you want you – look – 
it's a lot easier to indict someone whose name you just know and you don't know what they look like and what their face is all about than to, like, look at a guy, hear his story, right. hear him say, look, I, this guy was really scaring the heck out of a lot of people, and, I, you know, I did what I, I thought was the right thing to do, and I had zero intention of, of even hurting this guy. I was just trying to subdue him. Right. And, you know, obviously I totally regret and maybe the guy breaks down crying a little bit. I didn't mean to kill anyone. I didn't want to kill anyone. I just wanted to save these, my fellow passengers from possible real harm. And even though this doesn't really matter uh, legally, we all know that this is an individual who did cause real harm to other people, to total strangers on the subway. So it's not like our guy was, you know, it was totally off base, Mr. Penny. You know what's funny about total harm, too, is people confuse that with physical violence. People said to me, well, he didn't touch anybody. Let me tell you something. My 14-year-old son, Gabriel, goes on the train. He sits across from a guy who never touches him. But that guy yells and screams, I want to kill you. My son is scared to death to go back on the train. Don't tell me that's not a form of violence. I don't care whether uh, Mr. Uh, Neely touched somebody or not. If he was throwing stuff, flailing, yelling, and screaming, I'm going to kill you. I don't mind going to prison. My son, he's never the same. To me, that is a form of violence. Yeah. And, and, and are you supposed to wait for that? I mean, that's right. the thing. You are wait you for it? wait for the harm to happen and then act? Come so, on. You know, whatever. It's, it's a case that... Um, you know, uh, it's going to be in the headlines for a while. I mean, I think it's probably going to die down a little bit. I, My guess is they're not going to rush through the grand jury. Like, I don't think we're going to hear by Friday of this week that, oh, yeah, there's an indictment. I bet you they're going to wait a couple of weeks. Yeah. They, look, they only arrested him to chill out these moron prosecutors, uh, protesters who were jumping on the train tracks. Right. It, it was up to me. Every one of those protesters who jumped on the train tracks, They, you want to protest like that? You want to disrupt people's lives? That's fine. One week, Rikers Island. One well, week wait a Rikers second. Island. So you're telling one me, as, as one of the world's most famous defense attorneys, if they arrested those protesters, you would say no? I would say no what? To, to represent them? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> don't, put me, don't put me in that position because <laughs> everyone's, entitled, everyone's entitled to a defense. <laughs> a retainer's a retainer, right? Whether... <laughs> no, it's just, you know, it, but it's just... So, you know, but the thing is, Alvin, I'm talking about from Alvin Bragg. No, I know. I, I got Alvin you. Alvin Bragg yeah. is going to be like, yeah. oh, dismissed, case dismissed, case dismissed. <laughs> yeah. And there were right ways to protest, and there were wrong ways to protest. And, you know, jumping on the train tracks and stopping everyone from getting home or going to work or doing everything they're going to do right. who have nothing to do with this, that's the wrong way to protest. Go, go, you know, go protest in front of City Hall or one police plaza. Don't protest. Uh, in the middle of the day when Sid's trying to get back to Queens Thank or Arthur's trying to get back to Brooklyn. It's That's ridiculous. Right. No good. And we did have an incident, by the way, where a guy did push Gabe on the train. He was yelling and screaming. And to your point, he eventually pushed him, and uh, Danielle got in the guy's face. But you can't wait for something to escalate to get there. So, again, in my opinion, Daniel Penny is a hero. Now, lastly, 60 seconds before you go to court and then you go to Italy and enjoy your life. These uh, Trump deals, Takapina dealt cases, I should say. He, he's dealing with the Alvin Bragg one now. They're not due back in court till December. Uh, we know, of course, that she got uh, sexual abuse charged her way. This E. Jean Carroll. You got Georgia. You got January 6th. You've got Mar-a-Lago all coming up. People seem to think Georgia was a bad deal. I don't. He didn't see, go out there and find 12,000 illegal boats, do this. He did nothing. It was like the Ukraine phone call. What do you think, honestly, when it's all said and done and all these, all these uh, put their face in front of the legal system. What do you think happens to Donald Trump? 
Well, he's such an anomaly compared to every other human being on the planet. I mean, he's like, if it was anyone else, they'd be like, there's no way he can survive. There's no way he can survive. It's just too much coming at him at the same time. But if you just take him one at a time and pick off one at a time, I mean, the Mar-a-Lago one with the, with the documents, that's the one that kind of concerns me because apparently after he got the subpoena, he, there were going to be witnesses or have been witnesses who were going to testify that he ordered them to move things. There's a big difference between before he got the subpoena and after he got the subpoena. But, you know, Wait, but you're I, telling me that they're going to be able to move forward with anything with that case when the guy he's running against has 1,900 boxes in 30 different locations? How can you possibly indict and or charge Donald Trump and not do the same to the sitting president? Because what they're going to say is as soon as Biden got the subpoenas, he opened up his garage door, showed you his Corvette, and got said, it. okay, yeah, here they are, they here, they here, whereas Donald Trump got the subpoenas and said, move this, move that, move the other thing. There's, you know, there's a big difference in being in complying with the subpoena and versus, you know, absolutely thumbing your nose at it. But as I said, if there's anyone who can survive these things, it's probably Donald Trump. He's got good lawyers in every jurisdiction. And he'll fight, fight, fight while he's running for president of the United States. And we talk about being a little distracted, but, you know, we shall say, look, it's a great system, but it's far from a perfect system, and it is not just. So some people get hit hard and other people don't get hit at all. That's the world we live in. Yeah, that's true. Well, listen, good luck in uh, court today and have a safe trip to Italy. Have a blast. Have a great time. You've been phenomenal for me the last couple of weeks, so I look forward to you getting back and regaining that spot, Audie. I love you. Thank you, pal. All right. Thank you, Sid. You've been the best, and congratulations on all your success. You too. Thank you. Thank you. There he is, famous defense attorney, standing outside a courtroom in Southampton. That's what he does for me on his way to Italy, the great Arthur Idala. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Robert Corcoran will join us on Wednesday, new season of Shark Tank. That'll be cool. All right, NBA playoffs. Here's where we are. Celtics and the Heat in the Eastern Conference. Nuggets and Lakers. I'm actually looking more forward to the NHL because my buddy Vinny Viola owns the Florida Panthers. And somehow they managed to get to the Eastern Conference Finals against Carolina. But uh, Nuggets and Lakers out west. And uh, my next guest is a big basketball fan. In fact, I think the last time I saw him was at a Nick Sixers game. He's also Mr. N.J. Diet. Folks, 20 or 40-plus pounds, only 40 days, contractually guaranteed. Even if you start it today, today, you'll look great before July 4th. 855-5NJ-DIET or NJDiet.com. Here's my good friend, Dr. T, Arthur Turovitz. Arnie, good morning, pal. How are you? Happy birthday. Thank you, my friend. Good morning to you. Thanks for having me on. You got it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to come on because the last time I was on, yeah, and was the day after my Philadelphia Eagles were unceremoniously beaten in the Super Bowl by a bad call, but we won't talk about that right now. But you had me on right after the NBA trading deadline, 
and we were talking hoops, and I said, you know, don't sleep on the Lakers. They got D'Angelo Russell, and your exact words to me were, you could stick a fork in them, they're done. Yeah, that's not true. Any no, of it. I, because, no, 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 listen. Oh, li- can, excuse me. Hey, Justin, oh, how many, hold on and listen for a second, Artie. Just listen. I, I mean, I'm, I'm always wanting to give people credit. No, no, I'm always, I'm always wanting to give people credit, but I can't stand it, especially in sports, when people try to take credit for oh something I've been saying for a year. How many times, Lou and Justin, and when Macedonia Phil was here, before and after the trade deadline, did I say that when he wants to be, when he wants to be, LeBron James is still the best basketball player in the NBA still. I don't know about the Greek freak, any of these guys. And if he wants to win, no one can stop the Lakers. How many times, Justin, have I said that before and after the trade deadline? And on, uh, I, can't count it on, I can't count it on two hands. Lou? At least one Justin. and a half times. And I got yelled at by these guys. They're like, he's old. He's not nearly what he's. I go, uh, if LeBron James wants to win, which doesn't want to win anymore. He just doesn't care. If he wants to win, they'll win every game. So well before you made that comment, I've been have, saying that for a year. You may have said it. You may have said it. I don't yeah. doubt it. I wasn't in the room for that. But during our interview on the radio, and we can certainly go to the tape and prove that it's not Russian disinformation coming out of <laughs> Moscow. Yeah. Hunter Biden laptop nonsense. <laughs> we can actually go to prove it. But we don't have to. I know what was said, and I know I said it, and it is what it is. And, yeah, you're probably right. It's going to be an exciting series, and I'm happy to I'm happy to, uh, to enjoy it. I'm very unhappy with how my Sixers played yesterday. Oh, my God, what a terrible third quarter. That was a, a, a brutal way to end terrible. the series. I agree with you. But when you made oh. that, when you made the comment about the Lakers, because you did say that, you said, look yeah. out now. Um, and they already had LeBron James and Davis and these other guys. What was it, D'Angelo Russell? What, what, what made you make that? You're right. You may turn out to be 100% right. What made you make that very smart comment that day? I just felt like, you know, it, it's all about Anthony Davis. When this guy wants to play, he could be the top. He could be a top five player in the NBA. He's phenomenal. When he doesn't want to play, which is like every third game, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do. But if he shows up on a daily night, uh, every night, they get a shot of beating anybody. That's what make, makes him scary. I mean, LeBron is still LeBron. And if you get the kind of numbers you can get out of Davis that he can still give you on a nightly basis, very hard to beat. Very hard to beat. Yeah, and I thought, LeBron's amazing. He still is. And I really thought, Artie, that a Lakers-Sun finals, I mean, the Suns have so much talent. You got Booker, you got Durant, you got Aiden. So much. I mean, loaded with talent. And I know that Jokic is a phenomenal player. Murray's a nice player. But I would have liked to have seen a Lakers-Suns finals. I, I think the Nuggets... Give the Lakers a better chance. What about you? Uh, I think the Nuggets do give them a better chance because if you can, you know, they showed it. Jokic dropped, what, 51 in or one game, and they still lost the game. So I right. think the Suns definitely have more to throw at you. Uh, I do think that, uh, you know, with Jokic, they, they, their defense has been, uh, you know, here and there. And I think you have to play great defense, especially on the inside against LeBron and Davis. Uh, and I think that uh, that – the Denver may or may not have it. I would have liked to have seen that Suns matchup. I think that would have been phenomenal with Durant and Booker and all the weapons that they have. Um, I don't know on this one. I think I could see it. Listen, I could see it. I could definitely see the Lakers winning in six games. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see it happening. Oh, me too. I don't no. know. What do you think about the Heat? What about Heat Celtics? I think Celtics in six probably. I think they shut down Butler. I think they figure out a way between 
between Brown and Williams and the defense they have to shut down Butler. That's how I feel about no, that. No, I mean, there's certainly a much more talented team, but the Heat have no right being here. Yeah. Now, I know I know, Giannis got hurt in this first series, so that made the win over Milwaukee much easier. And the Knickerbockers aren't there yet, so I get all that. But I got to tell you, Artie, maybe it's just me spending 16 years down in Miami, but this time of year, yeah. series like this, I am very uncomfortable going against people like Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra. I just am. He does, yeah, they, he seems to have all the answers. He does make the right decisions. He mixes up the defenses. He goes from zone to man, and then man to zone whenever he needs to, clogs up the middle, and he really, you know, really uh, figured it out the last couple of series. He's done a, a marvelous job. Uh, I think it's going to be fun, but I, the Celtics are scary. I mean, they got, what, seven guys that can, that yeah. can guard seven different positions, like all the positions on the court. And, uh, I mean, Tatum can just go out and drop 50 on you any given night. He's unbelievable when this guy starts playing. Really, really incredible. Last yeah, night yeah. was just a disaster. Yeah, he scored 51 last night. Did blow be- it up? What do you think? Um, I don't think they blow it up. I don't know. It's a good question. I happen to think, by the way, the Heat are going to play the Lakers in the NBA Finals, despite uh, Boston having, like you said, I mean, you should be a basketball analyst. You're great at this. I mean, you're great at it, and you broke it down well. I just won't go against Riley this time of year. So I think it's going to be the Heat and the Lakers. But I don't I don't know if the Sixers blow it up. You think they blow it up? I, I mean, yesterday Embiid even said it. He said it was two of us playing against five guys. You yeah. know, you got Embiid. And whoever shows up, Harden, you know, Harden, I don't know that he wants to do it anymore and put the time in. I think he sort of wants to go somewhere, play a year or two, get $35 million a year, and then call it a career. Um, I, I don't know, you know, and I don't know what else you got there. Maxi, you keep Maxi and Embiid, and everybody else is really kind of moving around. I don't know. You, they, need, they, need, they need a lot. They really need a lot. And, you know, it doesn't help that, you, you know, it, Boston's making a crazy run. And the answer is to run down the court and hoist up three pointers with 20 seconds left on the clock. I don't know that that's how you play play a, a game seven in the NBA. I was very disappointed in what I saw yesterday. Very. But you nailed it. Those two guys, Embiid and Maxi, you start right there and you're in pretty yeah. decent shape. I mean, look, they still, you know, they were in a game seven, uh, one went away from the conference finals, hardly an embarrassing yeah. season, but that was an embarrassing loss last night. So listen, happy birthday. Come back on, talk more of the NBA until we get through the finals. You're great at it. So when you get back into town, call us again. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for the complete, continued support. I really appreciate well, it. Well, we love you. We love NJ Diet and enjoy your uh, your birthday. 50 is uh, is a fun number. You're going to feel good for about 5 more years and then it's all over, pal. That's it. <laughs> That's what I hear. Take care, my man. I'll talk all to right, you. All right, have a good time. There he is, Arthur Turovitz, Dr. T. NJ Diet will come back and wrap things up right after this. I don't mind if it's on the- 